Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 7th of February 2021. Hope you're all hanging in as always, <laughs> and not just hanging around. I guess we're all hanging around really, we're all locked down still. As we go through the, the amazing retraining program that's got so much hanging on it, the whole future hangs on the current developments to do with COVID, etc., and planned long ago, of course, before you heard the term COVID-19. Judging from all the, the different tests that they had with Johns Hopkins University and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundations and, and others too all involved across the world with the same tests, if this should ever happen, what would we do? And we're certainly finding out, aren't we? And the first thing, of course, is wartime scenarios, emergency powers, because under emergency powers, there's a war, that is War Measures Act, actually. And the first law in, by government when it comes to emergency is never tell the truth to the public. That's standard in all kinds of warfare. What's really surprising, I suppose, is that they're following War Powers Acts with the curfews, of course, in some places. Because COVID, as you know, is more virulent in the dark. You know, it's, you don't see it coming, so it hits you faster. So you can't be out in the dark. And uh, and also to do with crowd gatherings, no more than two or five or whatever the number happens to be, right out of the book for war powers, basically. And again, crushing all dissent, any defeatist attitudes, basically, is, in other words, uh, censorship of speech. It's a whole shebang we're going through right now. And we have been for a long time because they, they planned it. They talked about this at, their, at the at events that they had, like 201 and lockstep, etc. Uh, and all the lockdown stages up to about five different levels and how they would treat the general public. And eventually, when you get up to the higher levels of it, they talked about completely deplatforming people or, or freezing any income that they had to stop them from talking to the general population. It's important, you see, that there can be only one narrative coming from a singular source at the top that all the nations must follow. Because this is global, obviously, global agenda. And out of it, too, you have the World Economic Forum and uh, the United Nations talking about a form of world government to cope with it all. You know? This doesn't surprise people who've been following this for years. Because it really is a repeat of many talks I've given years ago from their own sources of how they'd love to do this and do that. They need different uh, emergency powers, etc., to bring all these things. And the same as 9-11. Before 9-11, they had a whole list of countries they wanted to take out and reduce to the Stone Age, according to Kissinger and Brzezinski. They had debates about it. These, and these are the terms they used, by the way. They said it was better to demolish Iraq and other countries and and destroy their infrastructure and ensure by financing different internal strife amongst different tribal groups or factions or religious groups, then they could have them fighting forever amongst themselves. So they could never stand together as a unified nation. That was the whole point of it, well, of that exercise. A lot more came out of it, naturally. And because you never go to war for, for just to annihilate an enemy. Most wars are economic wars, as you know. And even forget, so even waging a war on some country is an economic war because out of it you get, again, emergency powers type acts are thrown out there and your own militaries, even if they're invading other countries, need a lot of cash to make it all happen. 
and the, the money they, they take, the shout is incredible. You know, the, the, the mounts, of course, is incredible. And anyone who's ever followed the Halliburton exercise, when the, the Halliburton, this big massive conglomerate went out to supply the troops with fresh drinking water initially and other things added on top of it, multi-billion dollar industry. And they did an awfully good documentary about it years ago, if you can get hold of it, because it shows you the cons that were going on. Just, just, I mean, there were so many millionaires made by doing nothing except just signing occasional bits of paper. And, and the, the Federal Reserve, of course, was in on the act too, by printing up cash. And you saw skid loads of cash, freshly minted cash, getting brought in and dropped off in, uh, for their bunkers in Iraq where they had their, their bases. And they even talked to some of the officers in charge of the bunkers who said, yeah, the guys would come in with bags and we just stuff them full of cash, no receipts, nothing. Just astonishing. That's the reality. So that's economic too. The ones who wage war naturally uh, find this awfully, awfully lucrative. Not the troops at the bottom, but the ones that jump on in, that jump in on the act, of course. And it's the same with COVID as well, as you well know. I mean, there's so many millionaires and billionaires increasing their coffers massively when the governments are borrowing from goodness knows whom, right? Trillions of dollars. Just rubber stamp trillions of dollars. Just, just digital currency, really, numbers. They can't be verified because no one's overseeing it to see if it even exists in the first place. Great con, eh? But regardless, if you accept uh, to, to put them into the government coffers, then the taxpayers are guaranteed to try to pay this off with the loan and their interest. Never know. It's just astonishing, really. Uh, we, can't, we can't, well, it staggers in mind. The numbers are staggering. And economies, again, economic warfare, is, you know, so shut down nations under economic warfare. You make them pay for everything. All the money is getting borrowed, you have to pay back over many generations, eh? or your great-great-great-grandchildren, if you even have any, if you're still able to have them after all this lot. But, uh, but the, the amount of money has been made by people who were all behind us from the beginning and in on the planning of it is just astronomical, really, just like it was at Halliburton too. And it doesn't surprise me, because we live in a completely fake reality. We're, we're taught, to be, as I've said before, to stay naive, you know, your ability to really excel at school by using your own mind is completely stunted as soon as you walk into school at the age of five or whoever it is. And you're, then you're given an indoctrination to make you sure that you stay naive for the rest of your lives. Really something, isn't it? Rather, it's been perfected too. Most folk really believe everything they've been taught. I can remember in the school... I don't know what age, but I think it was maybe seven, six or seven. And there's a teacher talking about, about Robert the Bruce, you know. And, and all you know about Robert the Bruce is he lost a few battles, you see. They never told you at the time that he was really Norman. He wasn't Scottish. Their Norman family still, you know, they all came in with the Norman invasion. Went through England and Scotland. And he was Robert de Bruce, you see. I had to find out myself by going to the adult library. And they did have a great libraries in the, in the, in the main uh, towns we could walk to. So anyway, we were taught in school that he sat there and he says, how am I going to def- become a king here and, and overthrow the, the armies of the south? And he watched the spider. This, this is a rubbish they taught you. 
he watched, and who was sitting watching him, watching the spider? And he sat and watched a spider uh, that's trying to get up at the, the side of the cliff or, or the, the cave, and it had to cross over. I don't know what it was crossing over for to another point, but it was trying, trying to swing across, and it kept falling and missing and all. It had to keep swinging, and eventually it, it actually managed to swing across this little chasm and, and, and get stuck on the other side of it, you know. This is the tripe they taught you. This is you went, what you went to school for. Utter rubbish like that, you know. And it was years before they even touched on any Scottish history, yeah, apart from that, that kind of, the ancient history stuff. Years, because it was, it was still very delicate to talk about what happened. There was still a lot of uh, talk in the Highland areas in Scotland of the clearances. They hadn't long finished. In fact, they, hadn't, they, were still, they were still exporting people out of Scotland in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s. But the real clearances had left an incredible impression on Ireland people, whoever was left, because it, it was a genocide, as well as a deportation of masses of people, but a genocide as well. And it was deliberate, you know. Don't think that in your own time, you're seeing kind of Hollywood movie style deceptions and cunning and and, and, and Machiavellian techniques being used. It, it was it, it's, the techniques are ancient with humans. Humans always want our, our leaders always want to, to appear to be. They look at history in advance and say, "How do I want to be perceived after I kill lots of people?" And so they, they think up ways to doing it. Kind of like remaking Rockefeller after he had uh, the militias shoot on the tent, the tents of the, the, the union leaders at the time and their families. He remade them. It was remade by public relations experts. Uh, and it suddenly became a philanthropist and a do-gooder, you see. You, you just misperceived his intentions when he was having your machine gun, you know. But that's what history's always been. And in Scotland, you had to find, again, going into reference libraries. And, and they asked you, you know, why do you want to see these particular books? Like it was like, big, oh, big, a big suit. So always lied to them and sound rather innocent, you know. They could find them at the time. And they, they actually had statements in the 1700s after the last rebellion that Prince Charles had. And, uh, and then after Culloden, they had lots of statements about people, what happened with the slaughtering right through the highlands. You, know? you didn't have to be associated with any of the people who participated. It was a smaller fraction of people who actually took part in it all. But just being a highlander was enough to get you slaughtered and your family. And, it, and they made, you know, the, the troops, unfortunately, in all the eras, uh, take glee, a lot of them take glee in that. Some of them spoke out against it later on. And uh, but others took glee in it because you're getting a free hand to slaughter folk, and, and there's a sadistic enjoyment uh, that some people get on that, you know, when you can see the terror in their eyes. You see it too in the Middle East when you saw the troops smashing doors down on children, you know, everything getting going loose, so to speak, you know, in their clothing uh, as they wet themselves, etc. Not knowing if they're going to live or die. Same thing in Vietnam. And so there's definitely something that takes a lot of them over. And all, all nations are the same, you know. This human condition, and well studied too by the psychologists, can exacerbate it, sometimes they exacerbate it to make sure there is a big call. <laughs> you know, never trust the psychologists and behaviors. They're always used for, for nefarious purposes, even today with COVID too, big time.
But you find two of the clearances in Scotland as an example that they had lots of statements from survivors who watched their families being deported and, and these old, old boats, old ships that were rounded up by the, the, the London the government that were due for demo. They're all already sinking half of them and falling apart. And there's supposed to be a, a voyage supposedly over the Atlantic. And they watched their relatives sinking within sight of the coastline. It had just taken off. Yeah. So it's, like, it's again, it's the, it's the plausible denial But well, we've supplied this We had no idea they were going to sink You understand? That's how things really happen in history That's how it really is It's all lies Humans are the most deceptive characters Especially in leadership positions eh? And those around them The coterie around them of experts that advise them and then the experts that tell us what to think on behalf of governments or royalty. Nothing has changed much, really, except they've got better persuasive techniques today because they study it. We've been so studied over the last few centuries. They can pretty well tell how what works with, and with real time now too, they can tell what's working on the public with the chit chat and real time on the net. And all their cell phone collection data, except all the algorithms can tell in real time who's for this or against that or whatever it happens to be. And so you have much better persuasive techniques. And they actually call it persuasive techniques now. Uh, it's, it's not, they don't call it brainwashing. It's, that's too uncouth, you know. And once we catch on to what things really mean, the terms they really mean, they change the, the name, the, the, the actual language of it. That's what professionals always do, you know. The first thing you do in any profession is to create a language for the insiders, for the in-group, you see. Be it, be it medicine or whatever, you always change the language. Or psychology and psychiatry are really good for it because they had nothing much to start with, you see. Except sex and Freud, that was it. And so they built upon the rest of it from there. But to create a whole language, a lexicon basically. And of terminology, so only they, and it sounds awfully important, so that folk would cry, my goodness, they don't even know, manic depression, right? Manic depressive psychosis. <sighs> and once enough talk shows mentioned the same term, they changed it to bipolar, you know. So it's, uh, this is what they do when you catch on, too many folk understand what they mean. They don't like your understanding, because then it's hard to get you to, to, to give, um, give them the authority over you that they want. When you can understand the terms that they're using, you know, and it's the same in medicine, very exactly the same in medicine as well. Once you catch on, just and I've, I've you write down to the to the, the terms about to do with vaccine enhanced respiratory response, basically what they're talking about. Really, and they've changed it about five times in the last eight months. When the people start to catch on, they, they know the terminology that leads to the to what was called. The cytokine storm, that, that really dramatic terminology. But there's a whole bunch of, of other terms that they use, but they keep changing them because the folk are catching on, you see. And they want to confuse you with it rather than keep it straightforward. In other words, the vaccine enhanced response, and you get an over, uh, an over response because of the vaccine once you hit the wild virus, you see, in, in real life. 
and then you, you, your system goes into overdrive, and basically you'll drown. <laughs> you're, you're drowning your own own fluids in the lungs as, they, as it really enlarges. You know, gets soaked up with extra blood and so on. And so they keep changing it. But it's the same thing with all terminology. You see, with science, you see. But we never lived in, in a time. See, most of us haven't lived in a time of warfare. Or if they have lived in warfare, they've really always, you've always been in, uh, there's, there's always been a war on the go across the planet, lots of wars actually. And you've lived in a, in a, a war that's gone on since what, about 1990, starting with Desert Storm. It never stopped. Then they policed it for a few years and then they went in to attack Iraq and then Afghanistan and a whole bunch of other nations. And, and that was on the list of the PNAC group from the 1990s. And George Bush Jr. and Rumsfeld and Cheney and the rest of them that they were in the PNAC group were then in charge in, in the government. So they got their wish, a Pearl Harbor event, and off it went, they kicked it off. And that was also the Patriot Act and the anti-terrorism bills and so on, all ran through the same time, where it was stripped, not just in the U.S., but across the world, stripped of their rights and freedoms under the guise of anti-terrorism, fighting terrorism. That was part one. And of course, COVID is part two to complete it all. Quite interesting, because it's the same terminology is being used. And of course, the psychologists that work for governments, batteries of them, you know, and behaviorists uh, all work together, analyzing the data, said how to get folk to comply with all the orders that are dished out there, and have to even frighten the people, even right down to telling the journalists the handouts they gave the journalists from the, the, the group that run Britain, the Sage Group, subcontracted a department to another group of psychologists and behaviorists to to find ways to make the folk comply. And because and, this group came out and, and gave a handout to all the different journalists telling them in Britain and elsewhere, of course, because this is global, to exaggerate the stories, to intensify the anxiety amongst the public to get, to get compliance. So they're terrorizing you by exaggerating stories. Hmm. I've still got the articles here, and I put them up months and months ago last year. And so to have lots of other people as well. But you're really under wartime acts where, where literally you're not allowed to say anything that's contrary to the, the, the mammoth, the monolith, I should say, the monolithic system at the very top, you know. Uh, because that's what it is. It's a pyramid. And the, the cap of the pyramid dictates that all the sides below it. There's four sides, remember. Except for the under side too. You could take five in there. But uh, you've you got four sides. And so... All those those bricks going down from the capstone have to all parrot what the capstone says, and then at the bottom you have the, the you'll see it in the dollar bill and other other paintings as well, especially from the 18th century and the 19th century. The 18th, a lot of them came out, and they had the pyramids everywhere. But they also had the, what you see in the dollar bill, the weeds at the bottom. That's the general population. That's the wilderness, the people where the ordinary folk are. That's the weeds growing, if you see the bottom there. And so the ones who are above the rest of the public on the first level, all the way up, 
they have an idea of what they have to do. But as they go higher up the pyramid, they know the real reasons for things. The rest of them know not to ask, you know, and they're well rewarded for it. So all information has to be uniform in, in warfare. And that's why you have a department of information, if you don't know that. Eh? George Orwell worked for it in World War Two, in the BBC. And why would you need a Department of Information running a wartime system when you think you're living in democracies? Well, you can dream on and really still believe in it and keep voting. And God help you, because nobody else will if you keep voting. But that's the system in which you live, you see. It's complete deception. And only now, remember, I've said it before, you get 50-year to 100-year lockdowns on information under War Times Measures Act and so on. That actually classify information as secret, not to be told to the public. And there are terms, some, for, some are 50 years, some are 100 years. And I've mentioned it before, they only recently allowed the public to have the, the official sealed stuff about Lord Kitchener. He was one of the guys that you, you sent him across the world in the old British Empire days to take care of problems, and he certainly did that. But they couldn't tell the public how he did it, because it was butchery, basically. Uh, every fifth man line them up and kill them, and um, that teaches all the rest of the, the people in the, in the, in the huts uh, to behave themselves across the world, you see. And that's why they have official secret sites, you see. That's how it really, it really, really works. Folk have no idea of, of what's going on. They're given fairy stories in the meantime, which they quite happily debunk maybe 50 years later when everybody's either dead, that generation, or no one cares anymore. But some people, yes, yeah, sealed for 100 years. The, the original NAFTA deal, North American Free Trade Agreement, it was put in a, uh, they had one version for the public, a very condensed, minimalistic version. But the big one was put in archives and bunkers, actually, and sealed for 50 years. Why would have to, that, that had to be sealed for 50 years? Well, it's because you've been sold out. Completely. It's to be the end of the nation state, and fit by, by the 50 years is up. Eh? It won't exist as a nation at all. And that's part of it. The part of the inner part, too, is you, you're going into a system that Carl Quigley talks about quite openly in Tragedy and Hope. And other writings, too. And he remember, he was the, the official keeper of the archives for a couple of, two or three years. And he had access to all the records that come from foreign relations, the big monopoly system that runs every part of the system, of the US, Canada, and elsewhere. They have a branch for, it, for, for Australia, and New Zealand, and Japan, you know. And they brought China in long ago too. But they also have one for the European Union now, as well. And uh, of course the British system is the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And they created one for the European Institute for International Affairs. Soros actually set it up. <laughs> that was in the newspapers quite a few years ago. But yeah, you can find it, yeah. 
So, yeah, you're taught to go and vote for, for puppets, front people, like Hancock in Britain, yeah? that no one, I, think, I don't think anybody respects. That's my impression. Yeah? Never mind Boris Johnson, the, the, a, a made-for-TV clown. Yeah? As I've said, but do you really think his, his hair looks like that? It takes big money to make it look like that. Personal, you know, personally done in the whole thing. Everything's a show, eh? Everything you see is a show, a drama, and it's presented in that way too. Some are very professional presentations, but most of them are kind of ad hoc, good enough for the public because they've got to look like they're spontaneous, which generally nothing much is these days. Britain definitely was the prototype for most countries in the Commonwealth nations to follow, like Canada and Australia, New Zealand, and India to an extent as well. India really took off and, and copied the British system uh, pretty well, including Freemasonry, which, of course, Peter Wright talked about too in Spycatcher, and, and how everybody in MI5 was a Freemason. Etc. That's his own book, eh? It wasn't. It wasn't a conspiracy theory, you know. But that's how you 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 played the game, and Freemasonry really was based on faith, true faith. And and the order you get from a superior, you see, you didn't have to understand it; you had to obey it without reservations. Just no matter what you thought about the order, just to obey it. So you had to believe that they had a darn good reason for giving it to you. That's how the whole system was working, you know. But in India, it really took off. They adapted well into it with the British system. It wasn't just cricket they copied. And and it's like they have a tight-lipped group of people and there are different layers of them in the, the, the Indian government and the military too, of course. And that system you're seeing today, this, this instant obedience to higher authorities by all the lesser authorities. And it's a dangerous state of affairs when you have that on the go. It's bad enough when you have real war on the go. Uh, but they're completely intolerant in real war too through the Department of Information. You must only parrot the Department of Information. And that's what we have now. With all information is checked and hyper-checked by goodness knows how many layers now on the net alone. And they'll try and trip people up so quickly or defame them. You know? if, you can't, if you can't show a person is wrong by facts, using facts, then they'll simply smear them. And they have lots of smear words, to, to, to Pavlovian-style smear words to defame the person, to shut up, you see. Because no one likes being smeared with a nasty name. You've taught that it's applied to real monsters, you see. That's how you're trained at Pavlov, with, with these, these instant responses, these reflexive responses. Oh, am I really? Oh, my goodness, I, what did I say, you know? But yeah, Department of Information, and George Orwell was part of it too. And his job, it was, he said himself, was to convince people all through the war. He had, he had different shows. He had one to do with cooking. Because right? Britain was on a starvation diet back home. Great Britain, you know, the peasants didn't. They, if you were wealthy, you, you, you didn't lack anything, meat or anything else, during the war. 
They've had books out since about it by a lot of the toffs themselves talking about it. But everybody else was rationed, you know, maybe one egg, two eggs a week. Yeah, per family sometimes, eh? That kind of thing. And so they were rationed heavily and um, and punished if you if you if you if you tried to find extra food outside of the official sources, if you recall. So Orwell, you bring on different guests. And you've seen a resurgence of the exact same techniques with COVID. For people who still get magazines or online magazines and so on. All these different recipes suddenly appearing, eh? How no, no waste, eh? How to make do with scraps. How to try to avoid uh, getting infections from scraps being lying out for a little while. All this kind of different... That was all done in World War Two, and Orwell talks about it. He says, "He says my job with these these particular shows on on diet and so on, and and food, was to convince the housewives." He, he said, "Have convinced the housewives. People had housewives in those days, and they generally did the cooking." He, he said to start to use stuff and convince convince the housewives. And all the people who listened to the program convinced them that the stuff he was telling them to eat uh, was actually better for them than the real stuff. You know, the real stuff, you know, like pork chops and things. And so his job was to lie to the people. That's what he said himself. He lied to the people. That was his job. And tell them it was better for them than what they'd been eating before. Are you hearing the same things again, perhaps, eh? Wars have lots of things to accomplish. More so to change the people in the nations involved. Internally. That will stay that way after the wars. And Orwell also was in charge of the uh, India broadcast for India. Because a lot of Indian troops were across the world too. And involved in the war fighting Japan. And so he was involved in, in broadcasts to, to India and elsewhere in those areas. But yeah, convincing people to, that, that these things are better for you. And you should be thankful for it, you see. And if you see people at the end of World War II in, in Britain, they're emaciated, a lot of them. Uh, the youngsters who grew up in it, Oh, had terrible the teeth would fall out before they were ten or twelve. Sometimes they were very poor, very little calcium in them. They had rickets, lots of them. Malnourishment of all kinds affects you, you know. And malnourishment, by the way, doesn't just affect that generation. It can affect two or three generations down the road. They're all stunted in growth which was nothing new to Britain, because Britain was famous for it. The poor man of Europe during the industrial era, the, the sickest-looking sickest populace in the, on, in, in the whole of Europe. And they did. They were on starvation wages, industrial revolution, industrial era. 
on a fixed system, really, it's just astonishing how well it was worked out, how no matter what you worked at to work in class, you couldn't get above a certain income to keep you on a, a starvation level. This is, the, this is the facts of it, folks. Forget all these Anne of Green Gables type series on TV and Papa, can I have, can I have another pony? Etc. Forget all that rubbish. The past really wasn't that great for most people. It doesn't mean they were miserably depressed all the time because people in the worst conditions can have humor. And that's one thing that developed in Britain was humor. In other countries, too, where things are bad, humor gets you through. That wry humor, eh? Because you have nothing much else. But yeah, the Department of Information is backed up by force. Because when people in World War II spoke out before the war started, in fact, they're all noted who they were. There's a good documentary called Forgotten Men. I've mentioned it before made by uh, people in Britain to do with the effects of World War I, the mass slaughter, the culling of a whole generation, and future leaders, by the way. More happened in World War I than meets the eye, but uh, there's many different tangents you can go off and to see what it actually accomplished if you were an enemy looking at it. You know? Because you must always eliminate a ruling class to take over and, and, and put yourselves in, in there instead, you see. If you're taking over a nation. So there's many interested parties, but Forgotten Men goes through some of the, the causes of the war and the effects of the war, and they're trying to warn people about another war. What would happen? You know, a little bit 20 years later. That's what, that's why they give you 20 years between major wars. You got a new crop of young guys who, who it's all kind of, it's old stuff. It's like ancient history. Oh, that war that daddy was in or granddad was in. And so they're ready to, to fill the uniforms and the body bags as well for the next one. And, and so they're always used for things that have got nothing to do with reality, generally. Now, of course, with so much information declassified about World War One, the real things behind it, 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 all the myths of, of it, what happened, and, and the gaffes that were done with it too, uh, are all have all been exposed for what they were: lies and deceit, and massive profits for certain huge corporations too, actually. Other ones too, like Peter Hitchens, gives you the myth of World War Two. With all these classified stuff has been coming out too. But outside of the movies, there were no, not a single barge was made for the invasion from France to Britain by the Germans. Things like that. It's really astonishing, and it's true enough too. You know, they, they have all these movies about the fighter aircraft, and that's all you heard during World War Two. Orwell had it in his book, nineteen eighty four, where you have these constant announcements on the radio and tannoy systems about our boys on the Malabar front, and 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 we've our country has turned out. 2,000 more tanks this week and 50,000 more uh, fully automatic rifles and did, did, did. 
just statistics, statistics, statistics. We're hearing the same thing about COVID. So many th- millions of jabs will be given by May. And we've put out 10,000 today in this one little area here and, and one and a half million this week, etc. It's the same techniques, folks. Doesn't have to be all true. But it's the same techniques to get you involved and believe you're involved. And don't forget, Klaus Schwab said it too. He said it's more like a, a war scenario, he said, talking about the, the, the whole management of COVID. And that's what you heard last year. They're treating you like a war. It's a war on COVID. Huh? You see, you had to get a war type scenario, just like 9-11 was a Pearl Harbor event, to get the people to knuckle down and buckle down and do what you're told, and sacrifice. Well, there you go. Hmm? You got the same thing with the PCR tests and the swab tests and so on. We've administered so many thousands of swab tests in this day and in this area. That we found X amount of positives and so on. And statistics, 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 all war scenario, eh? To make it seem all the more real, you see. You remember, too, during World War One and Two, there were nations in the planet where nothing was happening. Life went on as usual. And for a truly global war, you've got to get, get this thing involved, the same narrative across the planet. And that's why you've got the WHO and other United Nations organizations all on board with it, because they have their fronts as well. You understand who set them up. The same group, they came out of London, which is the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They came out of the, the Lord Milner group, Alfred Milner, that really ran what was the British Empire, in the area, called the British Empire in their days. They ran it. They ran the wars across Africa and different places too. They appointed their own members to be lieutenant governors over those nations, which had, they had the power. A governor had the, the power on behalf of royalty, the same powers to exercise in nations. And eventually they, they created the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private organization with a royal charter to exist. And that's your, everybody who's anybody is, is member of that establishment in, in London, in, in Britain. They have the circuit round to tables societies as well. They run that as well. From the Cecil Rhodes Foundation that merged with them early on. And you also have the Council on Foreign Relations that was well known, still is well known in the States that was set up by Pratt, the family, Pratt family. And Rockefeller, of course, who put himself in as president for a while, eventually. But you had Harold Pratt, and they had the Harold Pratt building, I believe. And anybody who's anybody in the States of any department of government or media is a member of it, still to this day. And then you got another specialized group that came out of it too, selected from it, and that's the... That's a trilateral commission and their private group. But way back when they had the Lord Alfred Milner group, around the time of World War I, at the end of all that, they set up the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. The same group set these up. 
the Bank for International Settlements. All pri- they're all private, you understand. Uh, including the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's private. <laughs> A private club. And they set up... Um, The United Nations, first of all, it was a League of Nations, they set that up, then the United Nations. So everything that's common usage today, and, 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 and we all know the words and meanings of them and names of them, were all set up by the same group of people to run the world. And it came out of the people who ran the world at that time, who had no um, concept of human welfare at all. They were empire builders and Kong and they had conquest on their mind across the planet. They wanted a world government system. And when they tried to humanize themselves to the general public by giving more open talks on television or radio and then television over the years, they humanized themselves by constantly talking about the need to help people, you see. So they turned from a form of conquistadores to to social workers who want to help people, you see, and etc., etc., etc. Just give us all the right to do so and the right to lend money out and to, to demand money in payment back or, or land, you know, because you have land for debt swaps. Still going on, by the way, even now, today, across different parts of Africa. I've got some articles on that. I might put them up tonight as well. But their intention, naturally, just like Rockefeller remaking himself after machining gunning down the miners in their tents, was, was um, they want to help their philanthropists, really, you see. They're the Perry Masons of the world. They, they, they can't sleep, they keep thinking about their clients, the poor souls that they, who can't even pay them, you know. They want to help you, they can't sleep. What more can we do for you, you know. I don't think I've ever seen power, real power, that's benevolent. It goes with the territory. Only the psychopaths seek power, you understand. In every nation, it's all the same. Any kind of legitimacy they create through law, is, or, or time and law, generally that's what happens. It's for their own benefit, for their own disguise, you know. Until it is normal. You think, well, it's normal. And at one time, people thought that royalty was normal. You know. What else was there? There was nothing else. Most folk had no concept of anything else. It's all you knew. Most folk had no education either to know that, that they tried different things in other parts of the world down through time. All you knew is there's always been kings and queens, so it's normal, you see. So they were thought of by people to, to, to get rights and to change things. And then when they were given something to change things through the Enlightenment and the gradual un- unfolding of systems and clubs that had formed, then gradually you had this push for revolution, a world revolutionary movement. Of course there was one. I mentioned before, different people were involved in, in it, who were either born into it, some of them, like Thomas Paine, and that's where he admitted to himself. Or you had what people like, like Benjamin Franklin in America. And then you had other ones in France, of course, and Rousseau, etc. And many, many others. And then you had the, the, eventually they formed into the, 
encyclopedists as well to give their version of what they wanted people to, to be taught from then on. And actually that's grown ever since then until we're all taught the same things. doesn't mean that they're true or for the reasons that were given either. But you have revolutionary movements or definitely have been around and then you have splinter groups off of them but there's always a core one there down through the centuries with high-sounding principles eh? but never believed in by those at the top like liberty, equality and fraternity. Not their fraternities. You can, you can be the, in the brotherhood or sisterhood, etc. And like, like even with Robert Burns in Scotland, he, he really fell for all naturally because he was, he was a, a, a tenant farmer. He, he rented his land. He rented the house he was in and tried to make a go of it. We're told through history again that um, it was bad land. It wasn't the greatest land at all to support a family on. And, um, and then he had his poetry, etc., which really wasn't bringing much of an income in his own lifetime. But he also became a mason, and that's where we brought him up to some kind of prominence amongst those in literature. And he really fell for it. He fell for revolution. He, he was given a job as a tax man, you know, in the ports in Edinburgh. The ports in Edinburgh, and they had ones in Glasgow too, I think, but, or the ports in Edinburgh, I should say, anyway. And he confiscated some, some ships. I don't know if they were French or who, I think it must have been French at the time. And he bought with his own money, his own wages, the cannons. And then paid for them. That's a lot of cash even then. You think about it. I guess they're well paid, these bureaucrats even then. And he paid for them to get shipped over to France to help with the revolution. And that's what lost him his job at the time. But regardless, he, he like many people, fell for it. It's high-sounding philosophies, you know. Equality. And liberty. This strange thing called Liberty. The greatest trick elites always knew about with liberty was to give them the appearance of it, make them believe it, and they'll never figure out for a long time that they don't actually have it. Oh, of course you've got rights and liberty, but there's little containment bits here to get a peaceable society working, you see. and So you can't have everything you want, and you can't behave the way that you want all the time, and all these little things, you know. And under wartime scenarios, which is fantastic, you can strip them off it so fast if you, if you want to anyway. And they'll comply generally. Like Neil Ferguson said, you know, the the geek supposedly, I don't know how he's a geek, I mean, he's never right, but to, the guy who puts all, feeds all the data into computers, and so it's the god of the computer can, can tell them what, to, what they want to hear, eh? Like big figures about COVID, big, big, huge figures, and and he, so he's, and the, and the whole country still listen to, to an idiot like that, that collapses the economy and everything else. And he himself, Ferguson said that they were astonished. They said we watched the Chinese efficiently tell the people how to obey and do what they were told. He says, but we can never implement this. We we, we sat at the, the test. The, he's talking about the, like event two hundred one and so on, right? But he, he said, we, we had decided in advance these things would never work on the British public because their rights and freedoms and so on, individuality. He says, but we were pleasantly astonished how, how quickly they caved in and did what they were told. 
paraphrasing that last bit, that's basically what he said. So he admired the Chinese model, like they all did. All totalitarians love that kind of system. Do what you're told. Isn't that what Fauci said in that TV interview? Eh? It was up on on, on the, the, the YouTube or somewhere. It's the same thing. He says the Americans will probably get problems with it, being told what to do. He says, but maybe it's the time. He says, just do what you're told. Maybe it's time. So really, having rights and freedoms is illusion, isn't it? Because folk just gave it up with first sign of terror. <gasps> You're all going to die unless. That's how it's done. Over and over again, down through history, the same things are, are, are dished out there. Over and over. Doesn't take too much. And many have said it before, down through time, that people give up all their freedoms immediately if you, if you say that to them. Oh, if you don't do this, you're all going to die. Most will cave in right away, you know. <gasps> Goodness me, eh? Wow. But again, uh, wartime scenarios have a lot to accomplish. Like Quigley said, I've said it so many times, you do get more done than five years of war, meaning martial law systems, emergency powers, eh? changing behavior of the population than 50 years of peace using propaganda. And don't forget, all sides involved in the war are altered culturally by what they'll adapt to and accept during the war. The populations were kept, as I say, to be, to be very simple and very immature, really, so that people never look beyond the immediate what's happening. They're not stand by and say, what's the goals of this? What's it supposed to achieve? Who's come out as the spokespeople to push it all? What do they have to gain from it all, etc.? And then you find out that, that, that agendas have been sitting on the shelves for years are getting rammed through under, the, under COVID. Well, that's no coincidence, folks. At all. Remember, the Great Reset is for this whole century. This is the century, the 21st century, the century of change, the century of transition. This is the great reset that they talked about in academia all through the 20th century. They kept saying that the great change, you know, the century of change will be the 21st century. And it is, isn't it? It kicked off with 9-11, anti-terrorism, loss of freedoms, Total surveillance, no privacy, no right to privacy, and many other things came out of it, and, and in a permanent surveillance society. And this is part two of it. This is the century of change, the great reset, all the rest of it. And the agenda for the 21st century is laid out, this basic plan for the whole century, and it's split up into sections. The next part is 2030, what must be accomplished by then. Then the next part be 2045 or whatever. It depends how, I think we go by 10 years periods or 15 year periods. This is how it's all set out. I used to give talks about the 10 year plans and 50 year plans and 20 year plans at the UN and how they got it from the Soviet system. 
that's how everything was planned out. That you planned the whole century. Well, this part has to be done in so many years, and this other part has to be done in so many years, and cultural change, and this area has to be done in so many years, and that's how it is. Nothing has changed. It's one system here. One system, folks. And you're you're living through it, but you're not aware of the whys and wherefores and what it's supposed to accomplish. Most folks still believe in hope. You know, I, I think that new term has come out, that hopium, you know, the hopium of the people. Positive thinking, to an extent. I should give talks on the, the fact that all this positive thinking was done for a reason. It was to disarm most folk and train them not to look at the nasty things which they should be prepared for, for their own survival. The common sense, isn't it? Just basic things, eh? Like any wild animal should be aware of its environment, what's going on. That's a good star. But no, don't don't tell me about these things. Don't tell me what the UN wants to do. Don't tell me, because it's a downer. And and I've been told to stay away from negative people. So discussing important things is called negativity. Well, that's you being disarmed when you believe it all. Because it'll be a bigger shock when the real the real things. And and it, when you're talking about, you're not talking about things which are just speculative. You're reading from articles put out by the big world summits at the UN and the World Economic Forum and many other art organizations, all all clustered around them. They're all connected on this on the same pathway. And, it's, and they publish the stuff. <laughs> so when you mention it, no, you, I don't want to hear that, you know, it's, it's a downer. Leave me with my TV and my dramas and my happy, my happy soaps, you know, comedy soaps, you know, that, that type of thing. Where I, I meet all my pals, the comedians, in the pub on the television, you see. And, and, and therefore they can, they can have a reality they don't have in reality. They can have a fictional, virtual reality. You know, they're all friends in the pub and all characters. Because in real life, you're so isolated from everything else that's really happening in, in this modern society by design. That they're on their own, eh? So fiction becomes awfully important to them. More, and the, the elite who gave you the system know that. <laughs> And don't forget that the real dominant minority doesn't have to worry about it. They tell folk what to do. And a massive managerial class gets it all done for them. And in the managerial class, you have a big scientific system set up of behaviorists and psychiatrists and neurologists all, all, all working together for the greater good of dumbing down the masses. <laughs> That's how it's done. Very effectively. Until literally, as I've said before, people can tell you all about the, the, the so-called people, the stars, who's who, who's divorced, who's getting married, who's getting whatever, yada, yada. All the fiction, because most of that's fiction too, that they soak up, and that's the reality. As they go through a life, a short lifespan, eh? full of stuff like that. You know? and, and often, music getting worse and worse all the time. Until there's nothing. Remember the whole idea of communism too. That all these different programs are, including the destruction of beauty for the West. That included paintings. Until you ended up with Picasso, you know, with we didn't know where his eye, well, why is his eye, eye on the, on his chin, you know, and stuff like that. Eh? 
I'm telling you, this is a work of genius, for goodness sake. Yeah. Wow. Again, gaslighting whole populations. That's odd. I always thought that looked awful. Oh, no, it's a genius. Genius. Put that out there. And then music went down and down and down. Until there was no, there was no melody anymore. Had to be destroyed, you see. All things of beauty, they said, had to be destroyed. Very effective, isn't it? I'll tell you this kind of nihilistic electronic music now. Just it's, it's like a kind of half-conscious wailing, like someone who's in a sleep somewhere, but but there's no melody to it. It's nothing to remember, you see. Which is interesting, in a sense. You understand what music, as an example of what it inspires in people, can do it uniformly. Certain pieces of music, and, and even even pop and rock and so on, with the hook, you have a hook kind of chorus, you jump in, when, and folk would jump in, and they might not know the rest of the song, they'd go, ah, and they'd jump in and sing two lines or something, quite happily, all together. This is, this is a form of bringing things, people together, so there is a kind of unity, you see, and even that kind of song, no matter what the content of it is supposed to be about. So again, once you want to destroy even that, then you've conquered what used to be regarded as culture. <laughs> There's nothing much left, you see. Culture are, are various, there's various shared things, shared values, shared likes, dislikes in culture until everything's just destroyed. I mean, the culture is destroyed. When the culture's destroyed, you're gone, you're, you're, you're destroyed. Warfare, warfare, eh? And the dangerous thing about warfare is that in a global system where well, for well over 100, maybe 200 years, they've taught about superior types and inferior types of humans and so on, eugenics, uh, then uh, when you have a, a globalized system like that, they don't have to hide their malice and their malicious intent towards the general population. They simply implement it and do it. And that's what we're smelling today. wasn't so easy when if there was no countries they could point the finger to that was watching them as you're, as you're watching the other countries, they're watching you. But when no one's doing it, it's a unified system, there's nothing to compare yourself with anymore when you're all doing the same, on the road to the same ruin, eh? You see some people who, who catch on to certain things, they get an intuition, an intuitive concept springs to mind, you know, once in a while. They're not sure what it is sometimes, and if the press jumps on them too quickly to glorify them, they can burn for a while and then fail, you know. And that happened to an extent with Marshall McLuhan, who came out with works in the 19, I think 1960s and 70s in Canada. You know? And again, he, he questioned perceptions on, on things, and some quotes are put down to him, like, like um, the medium is the message. And that's how it turned out eventually. There's a whole story behind that because it was in French initially and the medium turned to be the massage. <laughs> that's how he initially said it. But it was a message. So the medium becomes the message. So when you're watching television or listening to anything from the media, 
they're completely involved with themselves. And so the system, the media and the system of the media becomes the message. It's kind of like, like, kind of like Hollywood going totally corrupt when you see them making movies about Hollywood, you know, actual fictional movies, you know. Or musicals, for instance, the, the big thing in the 30s and 40s was to get the bare-legged woman, you see, um, the cultural change. All da- you all make it as a dancer, you see. That was a big message back then, intentional too, as the envelope was getting pushed. But, the, but again, they're, they're completely self-obsessed, so they'd make movies about Hollywood. And same with the, with the media, until they give media stars, you know. And you get your Walter Cronkites and your Dan Rathers, and rather than what I always wonder. But anyway, you have these characters that are presented to you as authority figures, and people grew up with them and believing everything they said. Everything they said as news would be the facts, you see, and that's the way it is today. And they never questioned the fact that these people were, were just working for private corporations that were involved in a lot of other nefarious things across the world, including wars, and benefiting from it in some way or another. At least the folk who want the media would be. And there are dawns on people, they're being lied to and misled. They're like the embedded, remember the embedded journalists for, for the get Desert Storm. And then into the Iraq War, you know. This, this endless war, this, this 30-odd year war. So yeah, you have been involved in the wars, I see, because over there you don't really see the effects of it so much. But you're being involved, you're paying for all. And not only that, you're getting masses of migrants coming out of it all too, naturally seeking somewhere, and getting directed to come into Europe and elsewhere, by the way, with powerful organizations, you know, who also use it like a chessboard or dominoes, you know, knock down one, and where do they go, go to the next place? They're guaranteed to end up causing other other problems as they flood into Europe. They can't support them right off the bat. Which, it's a total war on the Europeans. Not from the migrants. They get The migrants get used. I wouldn't stay in a country if it was constantly getting bombed either, would you? Of course you wouldn't. But Marshall McLuhan, yeah, he talks about the different systems in which you live. He also talked about the fact that TV, we all know about TV spying on people. When it came out with with the ones maybe 10 years ago, and the states, the elsewhere, coming in from China, something, Samsung, was it Samsung? Company initially admitted to the people, you know, that the TVs would be watching you and transmitting it off to whoever you went to, you know watching you, to, just to see what you liked and disliked, etc., they said. Eh? But it got the people quickly uh, acclimatized to having something like that. Uh, watching them. Then now you have Alexa, of course, and all the other gadgets that spy on their foot. But it's so convenient. You need to tell it what to do, and it does it. But McLuhan talked about these things, even in the 60s and 70s. He, he said to another professor that I met, he said that he wouldn't have a TV set on in his, in his, if it was even a tea room. <laughs> He'd unplug them because he said that there were spy cameras inside them then, inside the tubes. Looking out, you know. But anyway, Marshall McLuhan, he, he had the little jingles he'd come out with. 
to do with things. But you did mention about the music to an extent as well. You, you, had, you clued in on a, maybe a superficial level, I think, to some of the intent. I don't think you knew all the people behind the cultural industry, what they were really intent, what they really intended to do. But you did realize something was going on. And he had a way of, of kind of condensing realities down into single lines sometimes. And he talked about pop music, you know, and then rock music, early rock perhaps, is tribal chant, he called it. Very appropriate, really, like tribal chant. Because all across the world, youngsters all had their, their variety, according to their own culture and traditions, of something similar, but different languages, a little bit different here and there. But in a sense, it was true. It's like tribal chant. If you went into old, old societies in Africa, you would hear them singing very old songs. And these, these were true tribal chants. But you had the same thing, say, in Scotland at one time in Ireland with, with the bards who could sing the history of the tribe, you know, or the clan. And that was tribal chant to an extent as well, because folk would catch up on bits and pieces of it, and they could kind of sing along with it. So you bring it into modern times, and you develop it all for a modern society, because the whole idea is to create a, a uniform society across the world that's obedient. You can't have differences if you want to control everybody, you see. You've got to make them all the sameness, the sameness of it all. Based initially on materialism, to bind them all together to, to the addiction of materialistic goods, which are mono- produced by monopolies, you know. Because monopolies then have control over you for the goods that you want. Break down your food, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, you, you end up with tribal chant, you know. So it's very appropriate, too. Some of the ads in the 60s and 70s were better than the music they were churning out to, for, for the, youngsters, the youngsters to learn and sing. Uh, they were better jingles, you know. So much so, many of them will stick in your heads for the rest of your lives. And again, put together by professionals in marketing and, uh, they could, they could, they, and psychology. So McLuhan was quite correct and so on. But he, he, he got into certain aspects of society and life. Uh, and he was carried along his own fame for a while. That it burned him out, I think, really. And I think he did a stroke eventually. And he came out of the whole system of the limelight after the stroke. And here's a guy who was touted as cutting through all the, the old-fashioned stuff. He's like, he was avant-garde and... And he was a man of the, you know, of common sense and, and humanism, eh? and the sciences, the social sciences. When he went back to Catholicism, what he realized and what he saw put him back to Catholicism. I've always said there's a consequence of knowing things. There's no doubt about it. A consequence. I've said it too, even, and our folk have mentioned it, <laughs> if, I, if I say folk will power it right away. But I've mentioned before about knowledge itself and wisdom. Remember wisdom. It's all old sayings about wisdom. There's a price to pay for it. Of course there is, because if, the saying ignorance is bliss is true to a great extent. 
because it, it, it might not make you aware of what's coming down the pike. But those, they would say to you perhaps, well, if it's coming down the pike, it won't matter if I know it or not. I'll be affected by it when it happens. You see, and you can see, yeah, I guess that's true. But they're happy in the meantime. If they don't know it, they're quite happy, you see. However, if you, if you know about it, you might be able to avoid it. Hmm? You might be happier then. But the same, same talking, the, the old saying, and... Uh, in various holy books, not just, you know, they all have the same basic tenets to do with, with, with philosophy of, of humans and families and peoples. And, but the one in the Old Testament that said that with great wisdom comes great sorrow. You can't, it's again, the opposites, right? Because great wisdom, you're right, you can't have a utopia because human nature is, is so varied. Human opinion is so diverse on different topics. And you, you can't force everybody into the same mold. You cannot do it. People will rebel, you see. Some folk will love socialism. They do love socialism. It's all they know, some people. And they're, they're, they're not quite happy to go through their lives being told what to do and advised by social workers and professionals who run and manage their lives for them. You know? Others rebel against it. That's human nature. And but for control freaks, uh, they've got to make you all the same if, if they can possibly do it. They force you all to be the same, or else they'll punish you or eradicate you. And that's what comes down to what we're talking about too, so is, is this uniformity and conformity of the public because it never goes well. And what we know of it in the past. It is big experiments. And they were called experiments. Like the American experiment. That was the US experiment. For the Revolutionary War. And can, can mankind control himself and manage his own affairs? Or does he have to be forced to comply and go along with certain things? Yeah? So free will. Can you be trusted to, to use your free will wisely? With little government looking overlooking the whole system, right? That's what the claim it was about. Again, it's a nice myth as well, because there's a lot more to it than that. And Jefferson, other ones, they made comments about it, about free will and so on. And freedom itself. The idea that they could have minimalistic government running the fears of people and they would stick to the basic systems of import and import duties and running the country. And that was initially what they were going to do. Import duties, trading duties, taxes would, would finance the running of government and government shouldn't get too big. They even talked about what standing armies and Jefferson talked about that, although Jefferson was also partly behind getting around that whole thing by creating the Marines, you know, which is just an army attached to the Navy, really. And so, but, but the, the, that was their experiment. The second one was, was conformity of collectivism. That was the Soviet experiment, the Bolshevik one, you know, or that came out of the Bolshevik one, the Soviet system, ruled by councils. So there'd be councils by... Uh, for all different departments of society, including trade councils and 
not unions, but councils, all appointed by the Politburo, and councils for everything that would run your lives uh, from birth to death. And you wouldn't have to make decisions, but you'd have to definitely obey them, you see, to exist within these systems. And you'd be a collective, and you had to go with what was called the collective opinion, even though the appointees, the, the leaders over the Soviet, uh, would obviously go the way that the Politburo had directed them to go. But it always sounded like we, the people, have decided. You know? So that was the, the other, the second experiment. And of course, what happened was, for a while in the West, they gave the appearance of free will especially in the States. That's why people were flooding into the States and Canada to an extent as well. I mean, Canada at one time needed a lot of, of people <laughs> for business and for for the huge natural resources and timber, etc., and mining and all that. They had to get lots of people coming into the country. So they gave them more of a, an American-type system initially. And right, so they didn't have, say, in Britain or other parts of Europe, you could have them inside Canada for a while. So that's how they draw you in. And eventually, of course, as they bring in, they merge the two systems together, collectivism and, and individualism. They bring it together, like they said in the Rees Commission, you know, Norman Dodson, the Rees Commission, where they said they would blend the Soviet system with the West. And that's what you've got today, you know. But obviously, you're, you're getting further and further into collectivism by the use of warfare techniques. So you have a war on COVID, and so you're in a total national emergency, international emergency, uh, and you go into conformity, right down to the Soviet system of police states, where they're actually paying, they're actually advising children now to turn to snipe on their parents, to clipe on their parents. With some articles about that already, and 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 these kind of um, semi—they're not officials. They're, they're, you've got security guard companies being employed by governments like Canada, uh, working in airports now, and literally taking people off planes and taking them into these quarantine places where they're not allowed to even meet their relatives. It's like prison camps. That's what they're saying. Right? I haven't read too much about it, but literally, but what we do know is they're not allowed to even get in contact with their relatives on the outside. This is, this is not freedom. This is not a free society when you get that's happening. And collectivism, totalitarianism, always ends up the same way, and massive disasters, as far as the population are concerned. When you start forbidding folk to contact people, where you can take people off planes and put them up somewhere in different hotels and so on, and they can't move out, they're surrounded by police outside, but the security guards inside, private security guards, you know, like private Stasi, you know, and they can't even contact their relatives to say, this is what happened, and this is where I am, or whatever. You're looking at, you're looking at, at echoes coming down from time, from the Soviet system and the Gulag system, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying here. Run the same way. Because that's what happened in the Soviets. Block countries. Folk disappeared at night, grabbed off the, out their rooms, homes, 
and Solzhenitsyn talked about it. And it was also used to terrorize the, the streets, the people that were spread fast. Did you see what happened last night to, to the so-and-so family? You know? They would often turn out the people, the tenants of these buildings, to witness it. That further terrorized them. And said, well, I guess they must have done something wrong. That's what they always say. Must have done something wrong, surely. So yeah, you are you are in the you are in this blend of the Soviet system, merged with the West. Absolutely, you are. Like they said, they would at the the government inquiry in the U.S., the Rees Commission, and Norman Dodds was uh, the guy who who talked about. I think his his YouTube's might still be up there somewhere. Where he talked about it. Where he talked to the the heads of the big foundations. These charitable foundations, like we didn't have the Bill Gates back then, but he had other ones which are still there. Of course, Rockefeller and Ford and Carnegie, etc., etc. All a myriad of them. They run thousands of non-governmental organizations. How can you have democracy when you go all thousands and thousands of well-paid, well-funded, directed NGOs, non-government organizations? Literally working to undermine this, to undermine and change this, and change all planned, outside of government, outside of the public's knowledge. You've never been in a democracy. You haven't. You've never had a democracy. And all the big changes that happen that you adapt to throughout your entire life were all planned for you. You fall in and, and copy and just, just go along with it by private agencies and organizations on behalf of multi-billionaires, the rich men of the world, eh? Remember, folks, going to cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you find out how to send me a few bucks. I'm still under lockdown here, but I'll, I've got some books to get off as shortly as I can. But send me a few bucks to take along because it costs money to get keep my sights all going. And uh, and I I use antique equipment here, believe you me. But I do what I can. It's, uh, I knew this day would come long ago, long long ago, many years ago. But uh, yeah, if you help me, just stick along here because we're going through this together. No one's backing me. You know, no organization backs me. I, I wasn't put out there as a front to begin with because most of them actually really are. <laughs> How do you control nations? You make sure that you put out the leaders for them to follow. You know? I've gone through some of the techniques used by unconventional warfare from Department of Defense manuals and so on. And what you've seen used for way over 30 years um, with color revolutions and with your own governments, and actually longer than that with, with, with using conventional means, they always go into nations. Your, your nations has sends operatives into other nations, sets them up financially. At one time, they used to set up newspapers for them, like Lawrence. If you're Lawrence of Arabia, that's what he and many others came out of university, were given their intelligence indoctrination systems. Uh, by the by, the military, 
and financed and taught languages to university for the countries they were designed to go to, into. And they would set up newspapers and start changing public opinion in countries, which they eventually would overthrow. They were the soft power of the day. And he talks about he talks about Lawrence talked about that in his own books. So it's as old as it can be. With the internet, of course, we put in lots of thousands of operatives across the Middle East, disguised as little bloggers, eh? but well financed and well educated and well supplied with information to make sure folk grab it. Oh, they're pretty good in what they put out, you know. And, and, and they'll give you a, a different flavor, character for whatever personality you have. There's one out there for you. And But that's what they were doing in the States for years and years and years and years ago. I, I, even before the Internet came along, they gave it the leaders. And the CIA supplied them. Well, the CIA never stopped supplying them, folks. Why would an all-seeing eye, I've always said this, set up operations, even using shortwave years ago? I gave these talks when I was on shortwave. <laughs> The shortwave, and uh, I said, you know, this is the, this is the history of the what was Patriot Radio called at that time, and, and uh, some good articles. One was from the Toronto Star. It was a good a good half page, I think, going through the history of it at one point, and it was set up to combat communism and communistic radio coming out of the Eastern Bloc countries. And at that time, they would use mainly not all, of it, but mainly Christian pastors to to lambast and hammer back communism and then put it all a different different alternative information or facts if you like to the communists well why cia never gives up avenues of communication and really when i came out i knew i knew i could i'd watched it long enough to know what was going the score and the whole thing and I too, as they say, you walk between the raindrops. You know who's who. You don't. You 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 can only use what's already there. Huh? But you're very careful because huh? you know having set up courses. But but with blockers, it's more so. But because it's like the Seventy Seventh Brigade in Britain. It's not just in Britain. They have operatives across the off the, across the planet in Egypt, everywhere. Yeah. And they train these bloggers and finance them and set them up and make sure they've got a, a, person, a personality that folk will go for. Oh, yeah, I like so-and-so, you know. And they've got to have, like rat poison, they've got to have 95% corn. But it's a 5% of counterintelligence information or disinfo they put across that you run with, you see, and that sinks you. I've watched folk get deplatformed for years, following people, we end up, the people who they follow have their own platforms and just keep going. But the avalanches of them go over the edge, parting the same stuff. And they don't have their own platforms to come back with. I can't think for people, you, know, you really can't. You know? And I've watched them remake themselves, the ones who lead you. Over and over, as they gaslight you, and oh, I was never doing that. You know? Then they remake themselves again as, as, as a new champion for the new cause, what Abraham's to be. And folk never catch on. And that's a sad thing, too. And I said this would happen with the internet a long time ago. You'd be so swamped, so swamped with voices, 
And that's where you are, overload of data. And just like Rockefellers, when they, when they literally did uh, massive surveys across the U.S. back in the 1930s to find out how, how many newspapers and magazines they'd have to control to, to make sure they standardized all kinds of opinions into their opinions from themselves for the whole country. And at that time, there were 30. And all the lesser newspapers and magazines would simply take information from the main ones and copy it too. So that would be enough to influence the whole nation's opinions. They even put ones out just for bureaucrats and civil servants, you know, magazines and so on. You've got the equivalents today on, on the internet for them. Quite interesting to read those ones too. So standardizing opinion is very, very important. But also with counterintelligence, the idea, don't forget, counterintelligence doesn't come out and just lie, lie, lie. Counterintelligence, they're the most believable ones because they have, to, they check to see where the latest chatter is amongst the people. They copy it, they even churn books out about it, like, you know, faster than you can go back and forth from the toilet sometimes. Book after book, and folk never catch on. <laughs> it's all taken from other people's talks and so on. And and then they add their 5% twist in it, the poison. It makes everything ludicrous, the 5%. And so the folk who, whose material is grabbed to legitimize the person who's counterintelligence gets labeled with the same brush, oh, you believe in so-and-so, so, oh, you're crazy so-and-so. Counterintelligence, eh? And there's lots of that out there today. There's lots of, of <laughs> they call them echo chambers. Now, the government has lots of agencies using echo chambers. They create a lot of them. They try again. There may be a thousand people all saying the same things. These are echo chambers from the same source, you see. But also, and, and the ones you're following, you often find, will occasionally let it slip that they also set up and run hundreds of bloggers. You start to get little bells go off in your head, maybe, when you think about it. And that's what we're living in, uh, amazing systems of control. And, and, and then outside of that, you have the deluge of easy blogging, where, where everybody's getting on the ads. And you have an overload, like they said, an intelligence agency some years back. Eventually, you'll get overload of data until most data becomes meaningless. And we're pretty well there, actually. We really are. You, you have your, your, some sites that let multiple people upload on, you know. Just look at the pictures. It's like a zoo. It's like the old tabloids with faces all grotesque or trying to look funny or whatever. But it's like looking at a circus, you know. So we're pretty well there, aren't we? And so you have to stick to, if you're legitimate, are the basic facts. Where's all this come from? What we're going through today? What's its intentions? Where's the sources of facts from themselves, from the, from the sources? <laughs> and are they achieving their goals? Where's it supposed to go? And by seeing where it's supposed to go, you'll see where any weak 
links in the chain of command at the top come from, or where they are. There's always weak links, you know. And you can definitely see from the from the very well executed and prepared setup for January the sixth at the Capitol building. It was all prepared way in advance by counterintelligence. I think the FBI admitted they had something to do with it too. And they definitely had informants working for them. At least you can say informants, I guess you, you don't see assets or agency. <laughs> you never get the full truth on anything from government, especially intelligence agencies. But definitely, yeah, it was set up because the, the next part of the plan, as I've said, 9-11 was for loss, loss of, of rights and freedoms and privacy. Perpetual, and this is the next part to anti-terror. Everybody's a suspected terrorist, especially certain, certain just ethnic groups. For goodness' sake, imagine, uh, understand where this is going. This does not look well. It shades of what can get ramped up and ramped up by totalitarian regimes of the past. We see it happening now too. All the different instruments are, are there to make it all happen. And perhaps the, the main target group is the one that could do something about it to stop it or slow it or whatever it happens to be or, diver, or divert it off. Maybe that's why they're so heavily, heavily accused of all the world's ills. There's way more going on than, than they'll ever tell you. I've always said to people, don't be followers and don't be blindly led by people that, that you've seen so many examples in the past in your own countries of your own intelligence agents setting up stings for people, for goodness sake. Within a week of 9-11 happening, when the top people at GCHQ in Britain advised against the, the agenda then, they already knew what they were going to do. It was to set up sting operations to try to draw out potential, like pre-crime, right, potential terrorists in Britain. And he said, this is, this is not good. He says, we can't have this. This is going to encourage folk to become youngsters to try, because you're going to put out fake people for them to follow. And that would radicalize the youth in order to catch the youth. You understand? Well, that's been going on in every country since. The fact that intelligence, top people, top intelligence officers in Britain knew that and were disregarded means that there's a bigger agenda at play. And it's, of course, it was always meant to be widened into domestic terrorism. Always. And now you're seeing a world government type system like George Bush Sr. said, and Junior, by the way, 10 years apart, a new world order coming into view. <laughs> a more equal one, just like the WEF, you know, uh, Chairman Schwab talked about. We'll redistribute your wealth. Your wealth will redistribute it, you know. That's what he meant to say, your wealth. He won't do it with his own. You know? Another private club, WEF, eh? 
So, um, yeah, you're living through amazing times. and You'll never get, you'll never, if you, if you want evidence of these nefarious techniques used upon society from the past to the present, you're living through it. You're the greatest proof than most folk have had even in the past. They didn't have the ability to get quick communication and, and to see various exposés of evil manifesting itself. Using time-worn techniques, you know, right down to blaming the people. Oh, there's terrorists amongst amongst you. You're a terrorist if you don't take the shot. We're hearing that already. I said this would happen a year ago. This is the sort of terminology that eventually started using. See, this is the elite's revolution. This is maybe part three or part four of their revolution. It's an ongoing stage-by-stage setup. It's not an outside revolution. This is their revolution. A continuation of it. In stages. And what do you always have in revolution? What's their biggest enemy, like the Soviets? What did they immediately turn the people against? Look out for subversive counter-terrorists. They're counter-revolutionaries. They're terrorists. They're enemies of the state, enemies of the people. That's what the courts in the Soviet Union called themselves. They were the courts of the people. And when they tried to vote, they called it that they were enemies of the people, you see. And that's what you're getting. The same terminology that's been used over and over again. Huh? Enemies of the people, the ones who, the, the, who don't want this particular shot, this, this new, brand new experimental vaccine. MRNA vaccine, experimental. You are part of stage three trials when you take it. And if you were a bit cautious, I don't really want that. I'll wait and see what happens. You're an enemy of the people, an enemy of the state. You're dangerous to the people. That's where you're watching the, the psychological units in operation, the, the behavioral insights teams, etc., all working overtime now to demonize people who are using caution. That's what they do in wartime scenarios. You've got to remember, too, that all of these things that are happening today were planned years ago, and not just individual plans. It's a continuum of agendas, all a cluster of agendas, all tied together, basically. To do with eugenics, the idea of scientism would rule the world on behalf I still an employee, so on behalf of the dominant minority, the minority who owned everything financially. Remember what Rockefeller said a few times, actually, one of his main disclosures in front of the press, the U.S. press and the world press. He says, we could never have made it uh, without your, your compliance in keeping our, our topics quiet from the public, you know. I'm out living there, but that's what he said. It's after one big meeting. I can't remember if it was a Bilderberg or which one it was. But he, he thanked them for them for, for years. They, they kept silent and not told the public what was really going on. Don't ever expect the, 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 the authorized media to be there for the people. It's never going to happen. It never has happened in the past. 
and it never will for the future. They, they, they are owned by, by those at the very top, the ones who own the banks. I'm not talking about bank managers, I'm talking about the ones who own the chains of banks and central banks. They're owned, folks. And the bankers to the world, etc. They're all owned. And they also have their money invested in all the control levers, such as media of all kinds, etc. And internet and Silicon Valley with all of its algorithms, the NSA and the countless other, and the myriad of other levels of agencies all tapped into the same spy organizational systems that are watching all of us. That all came out from 9-11. And since 9-11 and the war on terror, which is a war of terror, we're definitely in a war of terror today, and the governments have declared war upon the people using hype, fear, and terror tactics to make them comply into an agenda to stampede along as they're guided as to where to be directed to next and next and next and next and next. That's what you do when you get stampeded. Old techniques. So, yeah, you don't, don't ever think the media is ever going to be there for you, right? Brzezinski said it. He says the people will surely expect the media to do their reasoning for them. He meant their thinking too and their reasoning, right? And folk really do think, oh, if it's anything worth knowing, they'll tell us. Like, like they've got a duty to tell us. Where, where, is, where is that written in stone? Yeah. How you're trained to be naive is just astonishing. You can't even get a, a proper weather forecast from them. In Canada here, I mean, I've had about a foot and a half of snow in the last day and a half. Uh, but the media said it'd be maybe four centimeters, you know. <laughs> this is how they play the statistics game, so they can always bring out next the end of spring. This is the warmest, the warmest winter we've had for a hundred years, and this is what they do every every year, of course, these days. So they downplay the cold temperatures and they exaggerate the warm ones. We're truly are living in a in a fantasia, yeah? a plan directed fantasia, and we're constantly gaslighted not to perceive what we see and what we experience. But what we're told to experience. I mentioned it before uh, the countless studies that are done on the public, some things with hidden cameras by psychology departments, universities, and so on, are given permission to do this by the authorities, you know, the authorities. If you try to do the kind of spot you by Pete and Tom or something, they'll lock you up. But it's okay when they're going to glean information on how to control us because they decide how our behavior really works in different situations. But I mentioned before how they've constantly examined people after, say, bank robberies or major incidents that have happened in the streets and so on. And you'll often find that they have conflicting stories individually when they're first acting, is separated, right? That's why they try to separate them initially and, and get each person's viewpoint of what they saw. Or, or, and, uh, but if you, if you allow them to stay together, a dominant personality within will say, no, and this is how it happened. This is what, they, they'll start to gradually, one by one, jump over to that person's side and go with their perception. This is well understood. Yeah. That's how it works. So we're constantly being gaslighted by the main media 
uh, not to see what we're seeing, including the, the, the demonstrations last year, right? the demonstrations in the States with fires burning in the background. Whole cities, whole streets were decimated, actually, burned out like some third world country the next day when you saw them. But you saw uh, the clips that they put up from, from TV onto YouTube or wherever. You actually see um, the reporter standing there saying there's nothing much happening, it's peace, fairly peace. And here's the fires behind them all burning. <laughs> and you hear the windows busting with the heat and boof, boof. Gas, really gaslighting to your face. That was obviously, they're telling you there that that was their agenda from the, before the riot started. This is how you'll all report them, all you guys. You know? Yeah. No one made them report it like that. But they, they certainly knew what the, what the formula was supposed to be, eh? Total gaslighting. Right down to the, the beautifully staged uh, people waiting to go into the to, to the the government building on January the sixth, and the police obviously compliant, expecting it, all all laid on in advance, eh? so that photographers could have a field day. Said, "Oh, these are absolute rioters. There's all these white folk here. That's that's what they targeted the next day. White folk, you know. What do you mean? All the white folk in the world were not there, folks." <laughs> And most of them that were there were not inside that building. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. It's wag the dog. It must be true. It's on TV. That's what they showed you. Yeah. All staged. Including who would get in first was all staged. They've even had the FBI come out and admit that uh, one of the leaders, one of the groups there, was, was, was involved you know, in, in setting up this scenario. He wasn't there. He was, they actually stopped him from going there because he's one of theirs. Um, was, was a top informer for them, at the very least. Eh? Maybe an agent provocateur. Who knows? So there's nothing you can trust these days, especially on television. It must be true it's on TV, but why the dog should be taught in school? As a classic way of deceiving people, it's well done, you know. As a comedy too, you know, but it's well done. It's more real than anything. That's how it is done. That's how the folk perceive it was on television. It must be true. It's all perception management, you see. You can hire gangs of people to riot if you want to. That's old stuff in the states and elsewhere. And the states have hired folk across other countries as under soft power revolutionaries. Yeah? Numbers, they fill the numbers game for demonstrations in other countries, in Iran and elsewhere. That's how it's done. So you see it done in your own country and you can't fathom it out. But the big boys don't go after them and they don't get arrested. If they do, they're turned loose and the charges are dropped. That tells you all you need to know. But the ones who fell for it in the, the Capitol building on the 6th of January, the ones who just fell in, on the darn thing, it saps all of a shame. <laughs> Absolute shame. Because it was a setup. It was made for TV, literally made for television. You know? And it was to discredit all the other folk that were there just grieving, basically, about losing what they saw as their nation. You know, it wasn't just to do with who got elected. It was to do with the, the, the lockdowns, the destruction of the economy, destruction of everything and their values and so on. 
they've been watching for a whole year. <laughs> That's part of the, re the reason they were there. Of course it was. And helped along by other forces. Obviously helped along, if not led there by other forces. I won't name them, but... That's how, that's how it works. And folk will still follow the ones who led them. Eh? What a shame. And that's interesting too, watching, uh, again, people who led them, or at least encouraged them, maybe even financed them, that whole, that whole demonstration there, or meeting, or whatever you might call it, or protest, remake themselves immediately by the professionals behind them. You know? Everything's produced and managed, and folk don't realize it, you know. Get the remake their images and so on. Another folk who, who I think were hoping that Trump was real, even in religious organizations, immediately turned tail as soon as the first utterance came out. Oh, you must be mad after all, Tom about Trump, because that came out from the papers that very night of of the sixth of, of January, and they started to think, oh my God, they're going to go after, they're going to purge all the folk that were right wing. So they immediately turned tail and turned their whole, that jacket's inside out. Well, that's not really us, we're different, you know. And that was something to watch that. The fear in people, eh? What a world when you're living in fear all the time, and lots of folk are. And that's what authorities want, too, living in fear. Now, there's no lack of evidence, as I said before. There's no lack of evidence from the elite's point of view to do with too many of you. With all the documentaries that came out and books galore that came out from the sources, like the Better Families Bureaus for America, the Rockefeller Groups and so on, to do with, do with eugenics, eh? better breeding. Eh? And, of course, the, the racial hygiene that Germany had where they, they did uh, ground the hospitals with hygienic people who eradicated the unfit, as they called them. You know, the non-essential types. The people who had hereditary deformities or whatever it was, or, or mental illnesses of one kind or another. Lots of people get congenital defects from birth, really. Lots of children would get uh, be perfect or look fine, too. But uh, if, they had, if, you had, if the cord went round the neck in the womb, they could be de deprived of vital oxygen at the crucial point uh, at birth and so on. And uh, just for a minute or two, that's all it takes to cause damage. So all these kind of things, anyway, they, they were wiped out by, uh, again, the, the practical folk, because science took over in Germany, you see. And scientists rule. Now, they can't, they can't argue with science. And Hitler did congratulate the West for their research into eugenics. That's where he copied it all from, from Cold Springs Harbor Group huh? in the States, where they brought in cattle breeders from the Cattle Breeders Association of America to see if they could use the same techniques on breeding better people. <laughs> and they did the same thing. They started sterilizing the unfit, you see, the... People who were poor and end up on welfare obviously were mentally ill because that's why they're poor, they're unfit. That came from Britain, by the way, the poor houses. When you read the, 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 the articles that were written at the time, from books and magazines at the time, 19th century Britain, going into the 20th century, the, 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 the class system was so rancid. They really they talk quite openly about the fact, well, the poor folk are obviously mentally unwell. You know, that's why they're poor. 
Mm. So they should really be eradicated, or at the very least sterilized. Mm. It's very probably, you know, hereditary, yeah? That's what they said. Mm-mm-mm. That hasn't changed, folks. And as science went into the ascendancy, it's more solidified today than ever before. We've had the eugenicists come out over the last few years. Professors in this university, in that university, one in Australia, comes out every so often. And people should just live to 60-odd and, and die and leave space and not consume so much so the next generation can get work and take over. And, and you're getting convinced to die. These are persuaders. These are professional pers- persuaders, people. They're even turning professional persuaders loose on you to try to convince you to take the vaccination. Now, you wouldn't need professional persuaders if you can just come out with the straight facts, all sides of it, of facts. See how far you get. If you had the the, the guts and and the, the uh, okay to go ahead, and I should tell people all facts and all side effects and all possible bad effects, you know, leading to death, perhaps even, you know. But no, 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 perfectly safe. A folk who died nothing to do with with vaccinations, all from the manufacturer's point of view. Eh? I remember doing articles on Monsanto years ago. They had all the patents, you see, on uh, modifying the, the vegetables, the genes in the vegetables, and adding things and taking things away and all that. And people are complaining, too, about the side effects of not just that, but also uh, the pesticides that went along, like the Roundup Ready, went along with using Monsanto's products. Yeah? And the side effects that folk were claiming were coming from the pesticides as well. And they were getting sued and getting off with it too. You're getting actually charged, you know, by Monsanto and, and getting put in, you know, if they pay fines, hefty fines and so on. And independent laboratories that wanted to investigate the, the pesticides and the actual seeds and that for themselves were forbidden by Monsanto to do it because they had the patent rights that no one could publish anything about their products except themselves. That was law. So no one, even for the health of the public, was was allowed to investigate and test this stuff in laboratories for years. It's no different than from vaccine companies. They give the handouts. They tell all the governments what to say. Oh, nothing to do with the vaccine. Without even checking. (laughs) <laughs> to see if it ended. And immediately the person dies after the vaccination. Eh? They can tell you within 20 minutes that has nothing to do with the vaccine. No. Really. Mm. And that's good enough for us. Eh? This is your freedom. This is this is the system that you're going like, like idiots and go and vote for again. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to 9-11. That was to usher in the terrorism, anti-terrorism, you see, and no privacy. And all, in America, especially, they had written, at least they'd written into law what their natural rights were, which was self-evident. They put into writing, at least, uh, have been stripped away. Yeah. And this is, this is part two of it. 
where, where you're all terrorists. Even if I thought about something, you might be a terrorist. I had, did you have the right kind of thinking? That actually, this is what they're coming down to with the ministries of truth, eh? out of George Orwell, ministry of truth. And then they'll get out of it. They'll send you to the ministry of love where they torture you to see what, what you've been saying. Eh? And don't forget, too, 1984, in the book and in the movie version, there's different movies made on it, but the one with Richard Burton was really well done, where Winston goes to see um, Burton, who, who's, who's one of the officers of that class, of the ones who rule, the inner party. And eventually finds, after he's caught and sent off to be tortured, and uh, Burton comes to torture him, he says, oh no, he says, because uh, Winston believed that there was a rebellion army, basically, an army of, of rebels who would overthrow this nasty totalitarian system. And Burton says, he says, he says, and Winston said, well, you gave me the book, the manual for revolution. And Burton said, well, I wrote it. He says, well, not all of it. He says, I, wrote, I wrote some of it. So even, even the ones that you follow to rebel against are given to you. And their philosophy is given to you to draw you out and use you and catch you. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> That's how it works, eh? People have to really want freedom, you know, really want it. Most folk don't, I think. Most folk are, are, really have become accustomed to this form of socialism, this cotton wool from birth to death, you know, in a world where even boys are kind of emasculated. They're not allowed to be boys anymore. I see China, by the way, is putting money towards in programs to make boys into men. I should say that, to make them into real men. Well, the West is trying to really effeminize them, in a sense, at least neuter them. Has been for a long time. Where well, boys, I can remember when they stopped boys from climbing trees and things, and you know, the things you could do. Yeah, maybe fall once in a while, but you, but you get over it. It didn't bother you. And that's what young boys used to do. You'd be very active. And you want to build things, do things, go fast in your bikes or whatever it will happen to be. Or, yeah, and you'd have your little crashes and spills, but you get over it, and that's just what you do, yeah? But now, with the internet, too, and the games they play, now, they're sitting their bum all the They're sitting their rear end all the time, playing their games, which are addictive, eh? meant to be addictive. So they're, they're never testing their own bodies or the strength of their abilities to run or do anything or climb or... It's all done virtually in some game somewhere. And so they don't know. That's the first thing they do in the military. And in the military, uh, a lot of people, it doesn't matter what country you, you go into in the military, you, you go through a brutalization process to make you standardized. And that's what the first thing they do. At least they used to. And you're screamed at a lot, you know, and you comply. You must j eventually jump immediately and do what you're told to stop you from thinking for yourself. That's the idea. Just obey, obey, obey. But eventually, too, uh, you, you find recruits turn into more confident young guys as they learn to climb and, and do things they never thought they could do themselves. So they're getting confidence in things which they didn't know they could do, you see. And some of them used to come out of the forces and they would be helped getting startup businesses on the go. 
and they did have the confidence to do things again because they'd learned conf- literally that's what it is confidence when they're in the military. You know? All countries do the same thing. So regardless of what you've been taught to gain the confidence, you'll have it regardless, and then you can apply it to different fields, you see, with some optimism, and, and knowing, knowing you can do it. So there's some pluses that, from that too. Again, it's a tribal thing, the military, and young guys tend to excel in the tribe. doesn't matter what ethnic background they come from. That's what Desmond Morris talked about years ago was Tribe and Super Tribe, I think it was called. And they put a book out on it about America's attempts, again, experimentation, the great experiment, eh? to see if they could combine all the different ethnic groups into a super army, a super tribe, they called it, and to be able to put their ethnic differences behind them, hopefully and eventually forget, you know. If America was to continue to be the leader or the, the policeman of the world, as they like to call it, which really meant they were plundering the planet for a few cor- big corporations. Hasn't changed, eh? I should also mention, too, that the people going to the military, especially in the States, are despised by the left wing and Hollywood. But not just them. The left wing, that there are also the millionaires and billionaires despised by them. I mentioned before how articles were out when Bill and Hillary Clinton were in, and they talked about how they despised the military, but they would use them, but despise them, you know. And these are the words they used, by the way, in the media at the time. And you always see in Hollywood what they call the rednecks in the military, and how they, they debase them in their movies and in their comedies. They debase them all the time. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's almost like the movie Deliverance as well. Everybody they meet outside the big city is a, a, a hick, crazy person. Yeah. Very telling and inbred and, you know. <laughs> and even the comedies, like it was Mars Attack, was it? A, ridic- a comedy that you could, I couldn't chuckle at at all, you know. Because there were some other things, but there's a lot of messages hidden into it. Very much so. It's mockery of a, of, of a system and the people in it too. But like, there's a scene in Mars Attack where, where they have to get the, the, the troops out to, to, to fight these alien invaders, you see. And so it's done like, a, I suppose it's supposedly a comedy. But then, then they show you a, a, a trailer camp of house trailers. And there's this family, mum and dad and the, and the, and the son, and they're stripping weapons, and so this is your redneck. This is the, this is Hollywood's idea of the redneck, you know, like gun crazy, living in the trailer trash, as they like to call it. Right? Nothing wrong with trailers, believe you me. This is what they call them, right? and and they're stripping guns and stuff. But again, their son goes off, and they see him off to to, to the war. And then the son, when it comes to actually going out and fighting aliens, he runs, runs forward, his magazine falls out the rifle, and he gets zapped and he disappears like he's an idiot, you see. Double debasement. They hate, they hate what they're... But who's, who fills most of the uniforms, eh? They get sent off to fight. These wars, they're for profit for big corporations, the same corporations that despise the military, <laughs> And I always say it's mainly from the south of the U.S. 
And it's a shame. It's a shame they'll, go, they'll keep doing it, you know. Keep doing it over and over. Always suffering. Always left with tax, big bills to pay for these wars. Get nothing out of it personally. If they survive it. And big corporations use them and abuse them and throw them away like toilet paper. Mm-mm-mm. Now here's an article here called The New Domestic War on Terror is Coming. See, they start off with, with the war, again, on war on terror and the stripping of privacy in 9-11, right? And now this is the next stage of the same thing, right? Now they've got all the different massive fields of almost cities built up that do nothing but uh, collect all the data. It's just like spy cities since 9-11, all set up. But anyway, there's no speculation is needed. Those who wield power are demanding it. The only question is how much opposition they will encounter. And it says, the last two weeks have ushered in a, a wave of new domestic police powers and rhetoric in the name of fighting terrorism. There are carbon copies of many of the worst excesses of the f- first war on terror that began nearly 20 years ago. It's actually very similar to what happened uh, in Russia when it was taken over. It says that this trend shows no signs of uh, receding and we move further from the January 6th Capitol riot. The opposite is true. It says it's intensifying. We witness an orgy of censorship from Silicon Valley monopolies with calls for far more aggressive speech policing. And that's what they call it, speech policing. We're back to Orwell again, eh? Ministry of Love, Truth. But ministries of truth now decide what truth is. Eh? And so speech policing. A visibly militarized Washington, D.C., featuring a non-ironically named uh, Green Zone, and vows from the un- incoming president and his key allies for a new anti-domestic terrorism bill. So it's really a, it's a domestic terrorism bill. And frequent accusations of sedition treason and terrorism against members of Congress and citizens. This is all driven by a radical expansion of the meaning of incitement to violence. It's accompanied by viral on social media pleas that one work with the FBI to turn in one's fellow citizens. It says, see something, say something, and demands for a new system of domestic surveillance. Underlying all of this, are immediate uh, insinuations that anyone questioning any of this must, by virtue of these doubts, harbor sympathy for the terrorists and their neo-Nazi, white supremacist ideology. Liberals have spent so many years now in a tight alliance with neocons and the CIA. Isn't that the truth? eh? It's all one group now that they're making the 2002 version of John Ashcroft look like the president of the old school, the ACLU. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security website touting a trademarked phrase licensed to it in 2010 by the city of New York, urging citizens to report suspicious activity to the FBI and other security state agencies. The more honest proponents of this new domestic war on terror are explicitly admitting that they want to model it on the first one. A New York Times reporter noted Monday that a former intelligence official on PBS, NewsHour, 
as a public broadcasting service news, and that the U.S. should think about a 9-11 commission for domestic extremism and consider applying some of the lessons from the fight against al-Qaeda here at home. More amazingly, General Stanley McChrystal, for years head of the Joint Special Operations Command in Iraq and the commander of the war in Afghanistan, explicitly compared that war to this new one. Speaking to Yahoo News, he says, I did see a similar dynamic in the evolution of al-Qaeda in Iraq, where a whole generation of angry Arab youth with very poor prospects followed a powerful leader who promised to take them back in time to a better place. And he led them to embrace an ideology or ideology that justified their uh, violence. This is now happening in America. I think we're much further along in this radicalization process and facing a much deeper problem as a country than most Americans realize. What they'll mention here, too, is it's a whole history of Al-Qaeda, what it is. Al-Qaeda was set up by the West uh, with this war in Afghanistan against the Russians when the Russians were running Afghanistan. That's what it was. They don't mention that here. It's a pity. And Al-Qaeda really was a term they used for almost like a meeting place in in like a cyber thing, like a radio thing, Al-Qaeda. And they would tune in and talk to each other at the time. That was, that was the meaning of it back then. Then it became more solidified as the West hired mercenaries to use against other nations in the Middle East and so on, in Asia. So is anyone who, despite all this, still harbors lingering doubts that the that capital riot is and will be that the neoliberal 9-11 and that a new war on terror is being implemented on its name, they'd only watch the two short video clips below which will clear their doubts for good. It's like being catapulted by an unholy time machine back to Paul Wolfowitz's 2002 message lab. It says in the first video fly by Tom Elliott is from Monday morning's Morning Joe program on MSNBC. The show that arguably did more to help Donald Trump become GOP nominee than any other. It features Jeremy Bash, one of the seemingly countless employees of TV news networks who previously worked in Obama's CIA and Pentagon, demanding that in response to the Capitol riots, we reset our entire intelligence approach, including looking at greater surveillance of them, adding the FBI is going to have to run confidential sources. See if you can detect any difference between what the CIA operatives and neocons were saying in 2002 when demanding the Patriot Act and greater FBI and NSA surveillance and what the CIA official turned NBC News analyst is saying here. The second video features amazing declaration from former Facebook security official Alex Stamos talking to the very concerned CNN host Brian Stelter about the need for social media companies to use the same tactics against U.S. citizens that they use to remove ISIS from the Internet. There's the same tactics by the same teams in, in cyber warfare operatives. In collaboration with law enforcement, and that those tactics should be directly aimed at what he calls extremist conservative influencers. Conservative influencers. So let's use the military, eh? <laughs> cyber warfare, which they're already using about the COVID. Eh? 
says press freedoms are being abused by these actors, the former Facebook executive proclaimed. Stamos noted how generous he and his comrades have been up until now. We have given a lot of leeway, both in the traditional media and in social media, to people with a very broad range of views, but no more. Now is this the time to get us all back in the same consensual reality. In a moment of unintended candor, Stamos noted the real problem. There are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger audience than people on daytime CNN. <laughs> I wonder why. And it's time for CNN and other mainstream outlets to seize the, the monopoly of information dissemination to which they are divinely entitled by taking away the platforms of those people actually who actually want to watch and listen to. So it's true enough, it's monopoly, it's back to monopolization for the mainstream who literally were falling apart for years. No one was looking into them because we know it's all disinformation. And they've been getting government subsidies for years and years. Well, now they, they want the right for all, all data, to give out all data. And this article goes on and on and on. About it, he says, if still not convinced, and if you can endure it, you can also watch MSNBC's Joe Scarborough and Micah Brzezinski. I guess that's the daughter of, of Brzezinski, eh? Zygnia. Literally screaming that one needed remedy to the capital riot is that Biden administration must shut down Facebook. Shut down Facebook. Calls for a war on terror sequel, a domestic version complete with surveillance and censorship, are not confined to ratings deprived cable hosts and gowls from the security state. The Wall Street Journal reports that Mr. Biden has said he plans to make a priority of passing law against domestic terrorism, and he has been urged to create a White House post overseeing the fight against ideologically inspired violent extremists and increasing funding to combat them. And I'll go right down to just speaking, you see. They want to censor all speech. I hope you understand it. Well, she cannot have democracy in censoring speech. You can't have it. It doesn't work. You either have totalitarianism, you know, internally, or you have democracy. That's, and in democracy, you've got to tolerate all kinds of speech, you know? Why would such uh, new terrorism laws be needed in a country that already imprisons more of its citizens than any other country in the world as the result of a very aggressive set of criminal laws? What acts should be criminalized by new domestic terrorism laws that are not already deemed criminal? They never say, almost certainly because, just as was true of the first set of the new war on terror laws, the real name is to criminalize that which should not be criminalized, speech, association, protests, opposition to the new ruling coalition. And this article is quite lengthy, actually, but I'll put it up for those that want to read it themselves. I've only read maybe a third of it, you know, maybe less. But uh, it, it's on the money, and it's uh, put out by someone who's had his share of it too. That was Glenn Greenwald. So he knows he's not, he's not some amateur journalist here. Telling you what's coming down the pike and what is happening in real time now, right? This is not something from the future. Remember, all these laws, too, are immediately expanded as soon as you put on the books to include all kinds of things, or even what were you thinking when you said that? You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. This is where it's all supposed to go. Thought crime, eh? Thought crime. 
own think. You have your own think. Was that your opinion? Did you, or did you get it from someone else? This article here ties in with it too. When you see everything working together, eh? Under different names and different departments, it's all the same. It's one organization. And this is from the Rutherford Institute. It says, in the shadow of that hideous strength, the UN's proposed alliance with the big data to know where you are and what you're doing. And this is from 2016. Oh, it's old news. Oh, no. This is relevant today. <laughs> there is no such thing as old news, folks. This is the age of crony capitalism married to scientific research. With the sword of the state blazing the way, enter that hideous strength in C.S. Lewis's scathing yet prophetic portrayal of a science unhinged from objective truth and sold out in the pursuit of power. Who are we hearing today? COVID? Science is the ultimate God and truth. Eh? You can't argue with science. Eh? Despair of objective truth had been increasingly insinuated into the scientists' indifference to it and a concentration upon mere power had been the result. Dreams of the far future destiny of man were dragging up from the shadow and unquiet grave of the old dream of man as God. That hideous strength, page 203. Lewis's not-so-science-fiction work haunted me that last April when I served us as a non-governmental organization representative to the UN's Commission on Population and Development. The theme, the theme for 2016 was in enhancing the demographic evidence base. In other words, the Commission was concerned about data, Accurate data, data you can sink everything, uh, your teeth into, and track population movements, contraceptive usage, and a country's overall amount of harmful alcohol consumption. The UN wants to know everything about everybody. They seek a level of omniscience, unprecedented in the world's history, all as a crucial part of their grandiose, audacious, sustainable development goals for 2030. But convincing someone to sell their freedom requires some big promises. How about sustainable development goal number one? End poverty in all its forms everywhere for a starter. The UN's Commission on Population Development is one of ten commissions in the Economic and Social Council as ECOSOC. It all smacks the George Orwell's 1984. You know, like the Eurosoc and so on. So, on. so this, this is it here. It's um, Ecosoc here, right? Uh, ranging anywhere from the Forum on Forests, that's UNFF, <laughs> that's the United Nations Forum on Forests, and Status of Women, which is UNCSW. Through starch, dry, and benignly entitled commissions, the UN elite seeks to control the economic and social development of the world. The fundamental philosophy undergirding ECOSOC is collectivism, relying heavily upon top-down central planning by self-interested bureaucrats, each with a pet issue to peddle. But the stubborn thorn of all central planning has always been limited knowledge. The UN is now making a concerted effort to overcome that hurdle by making use of big data. As if to only make matters worse, the economic elites 
and the cosmopolitan bureaucrats finally may have enough information to make subpar sovereignty ceding harmful decisions and thereby forever proving Hayek right. And uh, I think Hayek, in the road to serfdom, serfdom, said, Central planning owes its present strength largely to the fact that while planning is in the main still an ambition, it unites almost all the single-minded idealists, all the men and women who have devoted their lives to a single task. The hopes they place in planning, however, are the result not of a comprehensive view of society, but rather of a very limited view and often the result of a great exaggeration of the importance of the ends they place foremost. It would make the very men who are most anxious to plan society the most dangerous if they are allowed to do so, and the most intolerant of the planning of others. And that's from The Road to Serfdom, page 55. According to a 2015 report, Ban Ki-moon, Secretary General of the UN, boasted that the MDGs, Millennium Development Goals, <laughs> which ended up being in Agenda 21, by the way, got plenty to do with them, helped to lift more than 1 billion people out of extreme poverty. The claim failed to reference probably the most important factors in the reduction of global poverty, the growth and privatization of both China and India, over the last several decades. Nothing to do with the UN, you see. As an, econ- an economist commented, three quarters of the, the, the gains made in reducing extreme poverty are attributable to economic growth in China and India, not to any particular effort by the United Nations. So along with goals of ending poverty and, and ending hunger, the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, seek to ensure universal access to sexual and reproductive health and reproductive rights, which many countries interpret as abortion on demand. A sustained effort, especially by developed countries, to control and limit world population. Not to forget combating climate change, increasing use of renewable energy and the picturesque Goal 16 which is to promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. It sounds so nice. Or does it? An integral component for the UN's SDG aspirations are their ability to measure progress. All this requires data, massive amounts of it, This includes traditional sources such as census surveys, civil registration, but also big data. A UN report, and the links are all here, by the way, in this article, from the UN, listed current uh, projects to exploit big data and gather information, including mobile positioning data for tourism tracking, mobile phone data for commuting patterns, tweet analysis and smart meters for analyzing the structure and size of households, among countless others. ECOSOC released in 2015, and the link is for this one here is here too, Report of the Global Working Group on Big Data for Official Statistics. The potential of big data sources resides in the timely and sometimes real-time availability of large amounts of data, which are usually generated at minimal cost. Now, the point of all of this, too, is the fact the UN, naturally, naturally, since it's a front for, for those who own the world, 
is talking about your 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 ID twenty twenty they called it. A big program for ID twenty twenty, for IDing everybody across the whole planet. ID twenty twenty an ID that'll be on all the phones to start with, you see. At least on the phones. And it may be on paper too for those who don't have the phones yet. But everybody will have to have their ID twenty twenty. Your tracked and traced ID basically. So, yeah, the UN is a big, big part of it, naturally. Because after all, it was set up to be a a front for those who own the world, to bring in the the, the system of the world that they they want the world to be, as opposed to what it was and is at the moment. We're far closer to their goals now, actually. Most folk don't realize what you're even living through when you're living through it. This article falls in line with the last couple, And it's from John Whitehead, and he talks about, again, what's happening with terrorism and domestic terrorism and so on. And it's called Enemies of the Deep State, the Government's War on Domestic Terrorism as a Trap. We're moving fast down the slippery slope to an authoritarian society in which the only opinions, ideals, and speech expressed are the ones permitted by the government and its corporate cohorts. In the wake of the January 6th riots at the Capitol, domestic terrorism has become the new poster child for expanding the government's powers at the expense of civil liberties. Of course, domestic terrorist is just a latest bullseye phrase to be used interchangeably with anti-government extremist and terrorist to describe anyone who might fall somewhere on a very broad spectrum of viewpoints that could be considered dangerous. Watch and see, we're all about to become enemies of the state. In a deja vu mirroring of the legislative fallout from 9-11 and the ensuing build-up of the security state, there's a growing demand in certain sectors uh, for the government to be given expanded powers to root out domestic terrorism, the Constitution be damned. If this is a test of Joe Biden's worthiness to head up the American police state, he seems ready. As part of his inaugural address, President Biden pledged to confront and defeat a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism. Biden has also asked the Director of National Intelligence to work with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security in carrying out a comprehensive threat assessment of domestic terrorism. And then to keep the parallels going... There's a proposed Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act of 2021 introduced after the January 6 riots, which aims to equip the governments with the tools to identify, monitor, and thwart those who could become radicalized to violence. Don't blink or you miss the sleight of hand, it says. This is the tricky part of the deep state's con game that keeps you focused on the shell game in front of you while your wallet's being picked clean by ruffians in your midst. It follows the same pattern as every other convenient crisis used by government as an excuse to expand its powers at the citizens' raised expense and at the expense of our freedom. As investigative journalist Glenn Greenwald warns, The last two weeks have ushered in a wave of new domestic police powers and rhetoric in the name of fighting terrorism that are carbon copies of many of the worst excesses in the first war on terror that began nearly 20 years ago. This new war on terror, one that's domestic in name, 
from the start and carries the explicit purpose of fighting extremists and domestic terrorists among American citizens on U.S. soil presents the whole slew of historically familiar dangers when government exploiting media-generated fear and dangers arm themselves with the powers to control information, debate, opinion, activism, and protests. Greenwald is referring to the USA Patriot Act, passed almost 20 years ago, which paved the way for the eradication of every vital safeguard against government overreach, corruption, and abuse. Free speech, the right to protest, the right to challenge government wrongdoing, due process, a presumption of innocence, the right of self-defense, accountability and transparency in government, privacy, press, sovereignty, assembly, bodily integrity, representative government, all of these and more have become casualties in the government's war on the American people, a war that's grown more pronounced since September 11, 2001. Some members of Congress get it. In a letter opposing expansion of national security powers, a handful congressional representatives urged their colleagues not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And they said, while many may find comfort in increased national security powers in the wake of this attack, we must emphasize that we have been here before and we have seen where that road leads. Our history is littered with examples of initiatives sold as being necessary to fight extremism that quickly devolve into tools used for the mass violation of the human and civil rights of the American people. To expand the government's national security powers once again at the expense of the human and civil rights of the American people would only serve to further undermine our democracy, not protect it. This is cue the emergency state, the government's Machiavellian version of crisis management that justifies all manner of government tyranny in the so-called name of national security. This is the power grab hiding in plain sight, obscured by the political machinations of the self-righteous elites. This is how government continues to exploit crisis and use them as opportunities for power grabs under the guise of national security. Indeed, this is exactly how the government added red flag gun laws, pre-crime surveillance, fusion centres, threat assessments, mental health assessments, involuntary confinement to this arsenal of weaponized powers. The objective is not to make America safe again. That has never been the government's aim. And Greenwald explains, why would such new terrorism laws be needed in a country that already imprisons more of its citizens than any other country in the world as a result of a very aggressive set of criminal laws? What acts should be criminalized by new domestic terrorism laws that are not already deemed criminal? They never say, almost certainly because, just as was true from the first of the new war on terror laws, their real aim is to criminalize that which should not be criminalized, speech, association, protests, opposition to the new ruling coalition. So you see, the issue is not whether Donald Trump or Roger Stone or my pillow CEO Mike Lindell deserve to be banned from Twitter, even if they are believed to be spouting misinformation, hateful ideas, or fomenting discontent. Rather, we should be asking whether any corporation or government agency or an entity representing a fusion of the two should have the power to muzzle, silence, censor, regulate, control, and altogether eradicate so-called dangerous or extremist ideas. This unilateral power to muzzle free speech represents a far greater danger than any so-called right or left-wing extremist might pose. 
The ramifications are so far-reaching as to render almost every American an extremist in word, deed, thought, or by association. Yet where many go wrong is in assuming that you have to be doing something illegal or challenging the government's authority in order to be flagged as a suspicious character, labelled as an enemy of the state and locked up like a dangerous criminal. Eventually, all you will really need to do is use certain trigger words, surf the internet, communicate using a cell phone, drive a car, stay at home, purchase materials at a hardware store, take flying or boating lessons, appear suspicious, question government authority, or generally live in the United States. The groundwork has already been laid. The trap is set. All that's needed is the right bait. With the help of automated eyes and ears, a growing arsenal of high-tech software, hardware and technique, government and propaganda urging Americans to turn into spies or snitches as well as social media and behavioral sensing software. They actually have that out, behavioral sensing software. The links for that, by the way, are here for the articles. Government agents have been busy spinning a tricky spiderweb of threat assessments, behavioral sensing warnings, flagged words, and suspicious activity reports aimed at snaring potential enemies of the state. It's the American police state's take on the dystopian terrors foreshadowed by George Orwell, Aldous Huxley, and Philip K. Dick, all rolled up into one oppressive pre-crime and pre-thought crime package. What's more, the technocrats who run the surveillance state don't even have to break a sweat while monitoring what you say, what you read, what you write, where you go, how much you spend, whom you support, and with whom you communicate. Computers, by way of artificial intelligence, now do the tedious work of trolling social media, the internet, text messages, and phone calls for potential anti-government remarks, all of which is carefully recorded, documented, and stored to be used against you someday at a time and place of the government's choosing. For instance, police in... All the links are here for these articles that's mentioning here. Uh, Police in major American cities have been using predictive policing technologies that allows them to identify individuals or groups of individuals most likely to commit a crime in a given community. These individuals are then put in a notice that their movements and activities will be closely monitored and any criminal activity by them or their associates will result in harsh penalties. In other words, the burden of proof is reversed. You are guilty, right? before you're given any chance to prove you're innocent. So it's sort of changed around what it used to be. Innocent and proven guilty, so now you're guilty and proven innocent. Dig beneath the surface of this kind of surveillance police state, however, and you will find that the real purpose of pre-crime is not safety, but control. Red flag gun laws merely push us that much closer towards a suspect society where everyone is potentially guilty of some crime or another and must be preemptively rendered harmless. This is the same government that has a growing list shared with fusion centers and law enforcement agencies of ideologies, behaviors, affiliations, and other characteristics that could flag someone as suspicious and result in their being labeled potential enemies of the state. For instance, if you believe in and exercise your rights under the Constitution, namely your right to speak freely, 
worship freely associated with like-minded individuals and share your political views, criticize a government, own a weapon, demand a warrant before being questioned or searched, or any other activity viewed as potentially anti-government. It's true enough, the Constitution is looked upon as being anti-government today, isn't it? Racist, bigoted, anarchic, or sovereign, you could be at the top of the government's terrorism watch list. And I've got links to these articles too, by the way, including the government's <laughs> list and so on, from the New York Times. This is moreover, as New York Times editorial warns, you may be an anti-government extremist, such as domestic terrorist, in the eyes of the police, if you are afraid that the government is plotting to confiscate your firearms. If you believe that the economy is about to collapse, there's another one too, you see. Which, of course, you're wondering how it's still ticking along there, eh? Since it really is uh, pretty well shut down altogether. And the government will soon declare martial law, which they probably will have. That's what the Emergency Powers Act is, is using right now. Or if you display an unusual number of political and or ideological bumper stickers on your car. According to one FBI latest report, you might also be classified as domestic terrorism threat if you espouse conspiracy theories especially if you attempt to explain events or circumstances as the result of a group of actors working in secret to benefit themselves at the expense of others and are usually at odds with official or prevailing explanations of events. Additionally, according, and the links are all here, by the way, in this article, uh, to, the, to other articles from authorities. Additionally, According to uh, Michael C. McGarrity, the FBI's Assistant Director of the Counterterrorism Division, the Bureau now classifies domestic terrorism threats into four main categories, racially motivated, violent extremism, anti-government, anti-authority extremism, animal rights, environmental extremism, and abortion extremism. It's amazing, really, when you look at what government's doing. Eh? They can declare war and have you coughed. That, that's not a conspiracy, of course. That's not extremists you know, sending you off to war. And then they close your whole nation down, stop all the economy and tell you stay in your That's not extremist either, is it? But they're going after you for, for complaining about it. <laughs> this is something I'm Monty Python. In other words, if you dare to subscribe to any views that are contrary to the government's, you may well be suspected of being a domestic terrorist and treated accordingly. Again, where many Americans go wrong is in naively assuming that you have to be doing something illegal or harmful in order to be flagged. And that's the truth. Most folk don't realize it. And targeted for some form of intervention or detention. In fact, U.S. police agencies have been working to identify and manage potential extremist threats violent or otherwise, before they can become actual threats for some time now. In much the same way that the U.S. Patriot Act was used as a front to advance the surveillance state, allowing governments to establish a far-reaching domestic spying program and turned every American citizen into a criminal suspect, the government's anti-extremism program renders otherwise lawful non-violent activities as potentially extremist. In fact, all you need to do these days to end up on a government watch list or be subjected to heightened scrutiny uh, is by using certain trigger words, like, and, and they mentioned the, the trigger words, by the way, which is true. They actually have ones which will flag you, and uh, some of them are rather, you never, you never think of it, in fact. Uh, it says, surf the internet, communicate uh, using a cell phone, or limp, or stutter, or drive a car. The links are here to these, by the way, from official sites and so on, from government. Stay at a hotel, attend a political rally, express yourself on social media, appear mentally ill, 
serving the military, disagree with law enforcement official, call in sick to work, purchase materials at a hardware store, take flying or, or boating lessons, appear suspicious, appear confused or nervous, fidget or whistle, or smell bad, uh, be seen in public waving a toy gun or anything remotely resembling a gun, such as a, a water nozzle or a remote control or, wake, or a walking cane, or stare at a police officer questioning government authority or appear to be pro-gun or pro-freedom. Be warned, once you get on such a government watch list, whether it's a terrorist watch list, a mental health watch list, a a distant watch list, or a red flag uh, gun watch, uh, there's no clear way to get off whether or not you should actually be there, be on there. You will be tracked wherever you go. You'll be flagged as a potential threat and dealt accordingly. This is pre-crime on an ideological scale, and it's been a long time coming. It's, it's all been here years ago. I remember when they did the movie uh, Minority Report, uh, a nice science. I think it was Philip K. Dick, too, did that one, right? For one of his novels. But it did, yeah, it was to show you that they're working on pre-crime and, and stopping. They treat you as, as guilty before the crime actually happened, and they'd arrest you before it happened. Um, because they just knew it was going to happen, you know, or a good idea that it was going to happen on a certain percentage basis of so much percentage possibility or probability. And they're actually working on it. Remember when it came out in the movie and folk talked about it and it came out in the, the media and, and they would discuss it too. And, see, and then they go into <laughs> do you realize the FBI is actually working on programs like this right now, et cetera, et cetera. And all countries, of course, are doing the same thing at the same time, right? In this day and age, this is to to add to that. Add tens of thousands of armed surveillance drones and balloons are beginning to blanket American skies, and facial recognition technology that will identify and track you wherever you go and whatever you do. And if you've seen the ones from China, they had some uh, almost like ads put out by China. They like, they like to boast they showed you these glasses that the police wear. Uh, at, air, air, at railway stations and airports and places, but they can use them in the streets. And everybody walking by, a little box would come up with the number, their name, and the whole thing, and who they were, and the glasses. And this is, again, this is getting to be old stuff already. And whoever they have, of course, we've already got in the West as well, and they're using it. As just to add to that, tens of thousands of armed uh, surveillance drones and balloons are beginning to blank American skies, facial recognition technology. And then to complete the picture, toss in the real-time crime centers being deployed in cities across the country, which were attempted to predict crimes and identify so-called criminals before they happen, based on widespread surveillance, complex mathematical algorithms, and prognostication programs. Hopefully you're starting to understand how easy we've made it for the government to identify, label, target, diffuse, and detain anyone it views as a potential threat for a variety of reasons that run the gamut from mental illness to having a military background to challenging its authority to just being on the government's list of persona non grata. There's always a price to pay for standing up to the powers that be. And he mentions his book, Battlefield America, War on the American People, and so on. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it sums up pretty well what's happening. It's been happening for years. Nothing happens by chance by itself at the time. These, all these different things that are suddenly pushed, put into effect have been on the, the drafting boards for years and years. Yeah. I always say this 
take them off shelves and blow the dust off them and implement them when it's time. And that's really how the system works. Hmm? And remember, too, again, go back into it, because folk forget very quickly, and I do myself at times, to send a few bucks my way at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can certainly use PayPal or send cash even, or personal checks. And any other ways you can find to do it, let me know. That'll help me go on. Because I, as I say, I'm not backed by it. You'd be surprised. I, I can't even go into what I do know about other people over the years. But, um, and even the nasty things that happen, you know, from other people. There's, there's definitely agents out there. I've just, I've, I know it. It's not, I'm not suspecting it. I know it. And um, the dirty tricks that they play on others to try and get them off the air is quite astonishing. Some of them. So you've got to be very careful. I mean, it's up to yourselves who you listen to. I won't say who you listen to, who not to, but it's up to yourselves. But if you've been bitten a few times, you should start to learn from the experiences and and stop following people blindly, even if you like them. And, and by the way, be very careful. You know, they put out all kinds out there, as I've said before, with all kinds of personalities amongst us. And we have all kinds of likes and dislikes. And they know exactly, I've, I've said this before too, it's the same as women. Uh, if you're a guy, they, they know exactly through all your surfing. And I did these talks years ago before I even had the computer myself. And uh, I, I said, they already know everything about your personality profile. They all know exactly your dream woman, who, what she'll look like, the facial features, the color of hair, everything about them, the personality type. All from your, what you've viewed, watched, and what you've surfed, and what you've read, and all the rest of it. That's how they do it, you know. So they, they, could, they so they know exactly for whatever you're really into and what you what you like. They've, they've got something ready for you already, ready made. You know, it's like walking into the world's biggest uh, tailoring shop. Whatever size shape you are, they've, they've got a suit made for you already. It's there for you to walk right into, just for you. And that's how the the whole movement is for the truth movements. We call it what you want. Uh, they, they, they literally have them. There are lots of people sprinkled in there amongst uh, all the regular ones. There's genuine ones, but lots of fake ones too that are well-funded. They'll appear as honorary folk and they'll be trained to be likable and presentable. And and the women will go for certain ones. The guys will go for others. And this is how it's all done. So be very, very careful. You'll You'll know by the cons that they push if they're pushing, promoting the same kind of things that got a lot of folk in trouble already, uh, you should be very wary, at the very least. Eh? And it's happened a couple of times. Then it's, it's you know, it's, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And you really can't help people because they just have to like people, even though they're getting used or fooled or set up. And, and they will get used and set up again. As I say, the internet now is, is a minefield. It really is a minefield. There's way too, so many people, way too many folks uh, just talking. You know, that's fine talking, but the, the problem is too, it ends up like a huge circus with, with all kinds of shouting, screaming, laughing. Um, it's, it's, it truly is like clowns and jugglers and acrobats. And that's what you end up getting uh, for alternate news. Yeah. Everyone wants to be a, a performer. Ryan just go on and talk. They want to be a performer or something. And it's, it's probably saturated now too. Remember I read, as I said earlier in the talk, that I, I spoke years ago, but from the government websites, eh, where they talked about eventually 
in information warfare, they would have information overload, just data overload. And data is data. It doesn't mean it's true, false, right? Just data can be gibberish, doesn't matter. And there'd be, there'd be overload with it until it would just bog folks' minds down eventually until they'd have to tune out to, uh, to keep their sanity. And we're almost there already, of course. We know that too. So um, be careful what you listen to and what you're wasting your time with and what's, whoever's using you. Yeah? When you hear the same people, even if there's 50 of them all parting the same messaging, you can pretty well get it, realize they're getting it from the same source. That's, that's what they call their, their echo chambers. And some of the bigger ones finance hundreds, and, or, and sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of other bloggers out there to part the same stuff as their part. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what's going on. You understand what they're doing now with, with, with the articles I've just read about going the next step for total control. It's just that. We've already been under pretty well total control. And, and under massive surveillance, even before 9-11. Yeah. Governments have never spared uh, any amount of your own tax money to spy on you. It's awfully important to know what's going on. E- even before the internet, they had, they had thousands of their own agents scattered through London, as an example. I remember reading an article years ago on the air at the time. And uh, that's about 5,000 of them in, across London. They had them across other countries that used to belong to the British Empire as well. Thousands of them. And they would go into bars and coffee stores and, and, and even live in the streets and listen to the gossip and the chat. And that's how they get the feedback of what folk were thinking, what they were talking about, what they were complaining about, what they were worried about. Uh, what they were going to do to try combat uh, government interference in their lives or or higher taxes, whatever. You, they always go, they, nothing takes government by surprise, folks. That's why this information gathering. Jack C. Lull talks about it. The 1950s, across the whole of Europe, that what they called cardiac systems. And these were, you'll see these rotary type systems eh, with the cards in them. But they had they had ma- they had buildings with this stuff. Every country, including Britain, had them, and they'd have the data on every citizen that they could pot- every, or they did whatever they could collect from school. You don't realize in school even teachers' reports were all going being collected on the different ch- individual children. Any little test that they did, gave them, little IQ tests, were all collected and put in the cardiac system. Troubles that the children had, involved, truancy, things like that. Anything at all that was displayed was all noted personality-wise and so on. And put in their cardiac system. And when they left school, their employment records, their marriage records, their, even, their, even their affairs records were all the intimate stuff that could be gleaned from folk living in your communities and your streets was passed along, folks. 1950s onwards. And that's why government never loses control. Nothing really takes it by surprise. And most of governments show the politicians are not the bosses. They're there to take the tomatoes that are thrown at them until you're fed up and you get another group that you vote in and then you start with them again, go around in circles. That's what politicians are there for. They, they, they know they're serving a, a higher power, you know, higher than the general population, put it that way. And again, you, you had the same things coming from big players in the past who were, were more, 
motivated in, in years gone by because of their the superiority level, you know, and their attitudes as well, of writing in their own books what they thought of the general populations. They were rather open. I mean, Charles Galton Darwin is a great one to read the next million years. I've mentioned it so many times. I never get fed up reading it, in fact, because it, it reminds you, you remind yourself once in a while, we haven't progressed, we haven't, they haven't got nicer to us, <laughs> the masters, you know. They're, they're the same ones then as they are today. And they have more means to implement the agendas that Charles Galton Darwin talks about. I mean, the rest of the people, again, to him, were inferior his own class, his own type, they were superior, they're the wild men. Uh, but even that, the middle class are irrelevant to him. He's talking about the ones who plan and direct and work with the teams that plan and direct the future. All of it. Economic, fashion, culture, everything. Legal, etc. That's how they do it. And they're wild. They're not, they're not inhibited by cultural norms, which they've forced upon you, in fact. And that's what they say. We, are, we steer the ship. We, are, we steer the planet Earth. Therefore, we cannot be inhibited. We are wild men. Wild to, to make great leaps, you see, of decision-making. Unconventional decision-making. Unrestricted by morals or anything else. That means if they wanted a mass call, they would take just do it. You understand what they're talking about? The next million years, mm-hmm. and they have no illusions of democracy. They're quite open about it. So anyway, I've gone over those articles before, and those books before. I should maybe do them in the, in the future again. Some more books to give anybody who's really interested in understanding the real reality of the system in which you're living. Even though you've studied it, and even though you think you understand it, people are still shocked when you actually see it implemented. You can actually see the effects of pressure that's been applied to those that front for the elites. I mean, the political parties that manage it all and so on on behalf of those who are above them, and the pressure they're under. And you'll see that the absolute venom coming out of these politicians now. Venom. When they cannot be obeyed immediately in this, this system of authoritarian control. You know? They, they just can't get the immediate compliance by those who should be obedient to them. <laughs> and you'll see them getting really furious about it. And uh, this, is, this is a very dangerous time when you see people with you know, showing fury in positions of power over the people because that is the same characters in history who've ordered more drastic things to be done to the publics on some countries in the past. And you're seeing that the start of it here now is to demonize, I mentioned before about genocide, how they demonize a segment of society. It's the first step. You make them subhuman in the eyes of everybody else. You keep repeating it, repetition, repetition. And then then you, you cut the, the demonized group off from having the ability to convey their thoughts to anybody else through any other kind of media. It's now the internet, naturally. But in the past, I've used it with print or anything else. And, and so you isolate them and isolate them, and then you get rid of them. That's what's happened now. That's what happened in the Soviet system, as we know. 
that was the, that was the the real opening salvo of a, a scientific system, supposedly scientific, to be used with a new form of controlling the public and directing uh, the affairs of humans in a nation. And what a horror show that was! But you see the same faces then, resolute, yeah? working together, determined to get their way. And you're looking at murder. That's what you're looking at, potential murder, from the eyes of those people. There's no doubt about it. Look at the old photographs of Trotsky when he was in charge of the Red Army at one point. So you look at, and look at the massacres and slaughters they did. Oh. These guys weren't out to debate anything with anybody. They wanted immediate obedience and compliance, and even for those who often complied, they slaughtered them just to show that just, just to make a, a, a lesson out of them, for others to be terrified as a reign of terror. Dangerous, dangerous when you see these things coming from government officials. I always say, "What's the duck and quiet stick? A duck is generally a duck." You know, forget the title. We're democratic, or or you're, or you're a republic. Forget the titles, folks, and look at what you're seeing. <laughs> it's the same thing down through history. I'm using the U.S. as an example. Every country was on board with the same agenda when 9/11 happened. How come that all all the Western countries were on board with the same agenda, stripping all their people? Of, of rights and privacy rights and so on, eh? That, that took pre-planning, understand? Just like the whole COVID exercise took massive pre-planning over years to get ready for all. And the right folk put in place at the right time before all happens. That's, what you, that's so telling as well, eh? Otherwise, you have differences of opinion in those in authority, across the world in the same equivalent positions. But you don't, they're all uniform. Huh? And getting back to sending a few bucks, remember, take notes of my official websites at cuttingthroughmatrix.com in case anyone goes down and hopefully you can still get them in one of my other official sites. Hmm? Now this article here is from the New York Times and it's interesting because we've already read official studies put out by uh, virologists and uh, epidemiologists talking about vaccine reactions at times, how it can cause massive autoimmune responses in the body, where the body starts creating uh, part of the immune system will attack its own cells in certain parts of the body. I mean, rheumatoid arthritis is a classic example of that. And it's interesting, too, that since the vaccination started, you've already had people coming down with certain symptoms that they, uh, to do with autoimmune body actually attacking. With that one doctor, the obstetrician in the States, who, after getting the vaccine, but two weeks later, even before two weeks was up, uh, he was admitted to hospital, got very, very sick, and his wife said that his platelet count, when he was admitted, was at zero for blood clotting. And he eventually hemorrhaged to death and had a massive stroke that finished him off. But um, before that, he was perfectly healthy. So your own, own immune system can definitely... And by the way, all anything negative about the vaccine is going to get hammered. Because remember, this is a war. Using full Emergency Power, War Powers Act to go after anybody 
who says anything that's not been authorized by the establishment. And you can't, you can't mention really that vaccines cause any problem. According to all the authorities, they're perfectly safe, even though they admit you're in a phase three trial when you get it, because they didn't do a phase three trial on animals, etc. But so they just know in advance with crystal balls that it's perfectly safe, you see. And anything that counters that, like folk dying, uh, I've got nothing to do with the vaccine. It's just it's all coincidence. That's what they're telling us, and article after article. So there's an article here. It got me thinking, too, because now that you're seeing the effects um, of certain physical maladies occur uh, after vaccination, never mind anaphylactic shock and, and the immediate effects, yeah, for some people, anyway. You're getting the other ones with massive temperature rises and so on. They go on for weeks and can end up really badly. That they're trying to say now that this is this is because of the COVID. The, the, these symptoms, the corona. This is from New York Times. The coronavirus can warp the body's defenses in many ways, disarming the body's early warning systems. For example, causing immune cells to, to misfire. To misfire. Eh? But a speed of new studies suggests another insidious consequence. The infection can trigger production of antibodies that mistakenly attack the patient's own tissues instead of the virus. So this is a new study with a new idea, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, the folk weren't seemingly coming down with that before, say last year. But again, coming down with it now. So it could be a cover for what's happening after you get you-know-what. Obviously, that's what I would say it would be. It's a, obviously a cover for it. Why, why are they bringing this report out now? It says that the report was published online this week and suggests that so-called autoantibodies can persist for months after infection is resolved, perhaps causing irreparable harm. If other studies confirm the finding, it may explain some of the lingering symptoms in people who have recovered from COVID-19. Now, here's what they're saying. This I don't know if you ever saw in the movie a comedy called Joe versus the Volcano. Quite a good comedy, actually. A kind of fantasy comedy. Where a guy in a humdrum, boring job uh, is so depressed and all the rest of it uh, has a doctor visit him one day. and uh, Or he was told to visit this doctor. He, he visits the doctor and the doctor says to him, Oh, you've got brain fog, you know. What's that? He says, oh, it's terrible syndrome. It's a fatal thing, you know, brain fog. A, 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 new, a new disease, eh? brand new. And he doesn't know the doctor actually is a personal doctor for a big businessman who wants something from a, an island, a very rare mineral, a rare metal mineral, I guess, uh, from an island and the, the natives of the island demand a sacrifice who jumps in the volcano uh, and, and and that's how they would if they, if, in that way the, the island wouldn't submerge under the sea if they got another sacrifice and in return uh, this businessman could get uh, the metal so the businessman had set up this bored guy uh, this very bored young fella to be a victim, a willing victim. Well, you're going to die anyway, you know. You're getting, you've got brain fog. And he got his own doctor to tell me he had the brain fog. Well, here's this, I've never heard of it before, because it was, it was, a, it was a, a comedy, for goodness sake. And here they are using that very term. You might get brain fog and joint pain. I wonder if you have a, a desire to jump into volcanoes. You know? 
So, um, but this, this is what I'm saying. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's going to come out from, uh, you know what, you know, the, the stuff that's going on now will be causing these very symptoms. And your immune system is liable to attack uh, parts of your body. That's what happened to me back in the 90s. I got a whole bunch of booster shots. And boom, then went massive arthritis, massive spinal problems, massive everything. And the lungs were full, you know, absolutely con- totally congested. And um, and the sonophil levels were way up. You know. And then you get on the, the, the cortisone, you try to bring the, the effects down, you know, stop the immune system working. Lots of antibiotics that burned a hole in the stomach, per- like permanent. That, that was the circular route that went on. Many had gone on before me, and since me too. But that's what, what did it too. And your immune system starts attacking your own joints. Another one too is to do with uh, distinct autoimmune antibody signatures between hospitalized acute COVID-19 patients, SARS-CoV-2 convalescent individuals, and unexposed pre-pandemic controls. And they compare their levels of different... Um, Immunoglobulin and so on, and antibodies between four different groups, say, eh? and they give you the results in the bottom too. For those who are really serious in finding out and who don't mind uh, spending part of their lives, whatever's left of your life these days, <laughs> since you're all locked down at home, so most of you are anyway. Then you get lots of articles too, you know, uh, like 19 year old hospitalized in ICU days after receiving second Pfizer vaccine. Still not being confirmed with certainty that the inflammation was developed as a side effect, because you have to say that, of course. And uh, you also had myocarditis cases. Lots of 19-related myocarditis cases have been reported. It definitely seems a lot of problems with the heart, no doubt about it. So another guy, too, was a doctor recently, a young guy, 39, I think, and he ended up with myocarditis, too, apparently, supposedly, after a short that there's lots of this happening, but it's nothing to do with the vaccination. 39-year-old nurse died, aid dies within 48 hours of receiving mandated COVID-19 shot. I'll put these links up for anybody who wants to read them. And since you're, you're literally um, <laughs> getting hammered for saying, you don't find, under War Powers Act, your government is at war with you. And any opinion is counter to their mandates. So you can, thinking you've got truth or fact doesn't matter at all to the government agencies now. And remember, too, in their pandemic exercises, as they went through the different levels and stages of the exercises, they said that eventually they'll go after folk who, who just won't stop speaking out about it. And they really mean it, folks. This is a script you're living through, you know, like a wartime script, all planned in their exercises. And bingo, you're living through it now. Uh, and just like some dystopic movie, uh, you're, you're actually in it. And you're watching them go after people now for not just having opinions, they're going after professionals. And shortly they'll be getting locked up quickly, not just people coming in from airports, locked, getting grabbed and taken off by private security companies like G-Force, eh? that the government's employing. But you get extraordinary rendition, just like you did with terrorists, of course. They'll classify as a terrorist. Enemy of the state. Hmm? Dangerous times, indeed. And don't think you'll ever... Once rights have gone, you never get them back, folks. 
That happened from 9-11 onwards. All the rights that you've lost and lost and lost. Never, you never get them back. It doesn't happen. It's like the, it's like income tax in Britain. It was a temporary war tax. I think in the US they called it the victory tax. Once, once you start, you, know, you never get that. Go back to normal. <laughs> so same with air rights. You fought for, uh, they take away instantly, but they never get back to you again. Yet, I mean, yet they fight to get them in the first place. Yeah. Another one too is to do with uh, outbreaks. Um, and this is the Sun newspaper in Britain. Nine care home residents dead and 69 infected in mass COVID outbreaks six days after getting the vaccine. Well, they're finding this after the vaccine. They remember it's supposed to create the, 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 the spikes, or the protein spikes in your own cells. So lots of folk are testing positive after they get the shots. I'll put this one up too. And seven di- Spanish care home after getting the Pfizer COVID jab. As all residents test positive for the virus, the second dose is still to come. Congressman test positive for COVID-19 after receiving second dose of vaccine in the States. Interesting too, because I've got articles here where they say, oh, people have been uh, immune from COVID after getting the first shot. It's, it's all public relations exercises by PR companies, remember. So Congressman Stephen Lynch, Democrat from Massachusetts, tested positive COVID-19 Friday after receiving the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine earlier this month. Lynch is one of several members of Congress who have tested positive for the virus in recent weeks. He says, I'm fortunate to currently be asymptomatic and I have immediately begun to self-quarantine. So he's self-quarantined after getting the shots. Shots can be dangerous to, to older folk, eh? And yet the chances of coming getting ill with the COVID are very rare. rare. Debunked, uh, says, uh, uh, this is, now here's what they do about the debunk, debunking any other opinion. It says, no, a Wexford doctor's death was not related to the COVID-19 vaccine. And a number of posts on Facebook have said that Dr. Kirshav Sharma died 11th January after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, insinuating that the two events were linked. Well, of course it couldn't be linked. Although it's understood that Dr. Sharma had received his first dose of the vaccine, his death was unrelated to this. There have so far been no reports of deaths where COVID-19 vaccine is believed to have been a contributory factor, either in Ireland or anywhere across the European Union. This is in Ireland. Eh? One social media post shared more than 300 times claimed that the doctor was found dead after COVID vaccine and linked his death January 11th with the vaccination a number of days before. This is misleading and an inaccurate outline of the situation. The Health Products Regulatory Agency, Authority, right? These are the ones who regulate and actually buy vaccines. Eh? This, is, this is for medicine in Ireland. Confirmed there have been no reports of deaths. You can trust them, eh? <laughs> for which there were, were concerns about the COVID-19 vaccine. The HPRA has not received a report of a fatality for which there is a concern that COVID-19 vaccine was had a contributory role. The HPRA told the journal, eh? So the HPRA publishes first safety update in respect to COVID-19 vaccines, which provided an overview of reports of suspected side effects received in the period up to 18th of January. And so they have no, no problems with safety at all, even though it's experimental, right? 
even know that once you get the, the vaccine, uh, you've got uh, they actually have you put down your, your name, number, age, the whole lot, probably right, your insurance number too, but they definitely have you down with the batch number that you got the shot, and they want updates on you because you're part of the third stage of the experiment now, right? It's an experimental vaccine. So they can't say, they can't say with any absolute certainty that they're perfectly safe if they haven't done the third, you are part of the third stage, stage now. Ah, it's quite amazing times to live through, isn't it? It it really is. It's so dystopic, this whole thing there. And then the article, Dr. uh, Kershav Sharma, another article that says found dead after the COVID vaccine. But this article here only says he was 39 years old, doesn't mention anything about the vaccine, getting the vaccination at all in this other article. Strange how did we even miss that, or is it? And uh, COVID, France restricts AstraZeneca vaccine to under the 65s. This latest recommendation from the EU member state uh, approving the jab with such restrictions, citing insufficient data on its efficacy for older people. Well, they've had too many folk with bad effects after it. That was part of the reason. This is from uh, uh, BBC, by the way. Yeah. What did the French officials say? The health regular said there was still not enough data about the effectiveness of the vaccine for patients over 65 years of age. But it's because they've had bad effects, from reports of bad effects from a lot of people. European Affairs Minister Clement Bourne told the French radio Monday that the British were taking a lot of risks with this vaccination campaign by spacing delays between the two injections. Some of them, remember, were saying just to use the one, get them, get more of it, get one out that's better than nothing. And then they were saying they should mix different makes together. Remember that a week or two ago. Then you had Fauci coming out uh, contradicting both of them. <laughs> I love how these scientists are all on board eh, with their different opinions. This is what have other countries decided about AstraZeneca. Since last week, Germany's vaccine commission said it could not recommend the use of the jab in people aged over 65. They, they refuse to say why, eh? even though other articles from other newspapers have mentioned why. But there you go. And again, BBC. Again, COVID vaccines extremely safe, finds the UK regulator. There you go. Extremely safe with mild expected side effects, says the country's drugs regulator. So in 22,820 suspected reactions were reported to, I guess, a suspected day. Almost all were mild, such as a sore arm or flu-like illness. Meanwhile, I've got the list here, the official ones, before getting resuscitated and all the rest of it, too. Uh, this is horrible what they're doing here. Trying to pretend it's all quite quite harmless, eh? when they've had uh, they've got people standing by with all kinds of jabs to try to bring you back again if you pass out and your blood pressure plummets. But um, and then at the bottom they contradict themselves. Severe allergic reactions to the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine can happen. Well, that's impossible. I've read other articles that says no, they're perfectly safe. So here it says at the bottom, severe allergic reactions to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine can happen, but are very rare between one and two cases per 100,000 doses administered. Experts estimate the MHRA received uh, uh, 101 allergy-related reports. Hmm. Doctors already see people with a history of significant allergic reactions to ingredients in the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine should not receive it. So there you go. 
So you make your mind up, and, and the same stories they tell you they're, they're perfectly safe. Yada, yada, yada. And booster shots to keep COVID mutations. And this is to be permanent forever, you understand. More and more shots and boosters. So booster, and that's what that Dr. Bell said, Professor Bell, whatever his name was in Britain. He was in charge of, of some of the vaccine there. And uh, he's also on the, the SAGE group in Britain as well, and the Gavi group. But he did say that, I say expect, he said last year, he said, I expect this will be a regular shot every year like the flu. So booster shots to keep COVID mutations under control, says expert, even though they're constantly mutating, which is probably pointless. I mean, you, viruses are, are, are the great um, robbers. They call it robbers, eh? like magpies as well. as another way to describe them because a virus comes into your body from someone else's and it'll leave behind in your body parts of cell, RNA from other people's bodies. It'll grab some of yours and mutate a little bit, then it'll move on to the next person and leave some of yours in theirs. This is how it works. Eh? So you really can't have a standard thing against it. It'll constantly mutate anyway. Like a common cold, eh? or even the flu. The flu is, is similar too. Even within the major strains, you have many, many variations of it. And this, is, this one you're seeing now with the COVID is just a variation under a particular strain. So Dr. Susan Hopkins said, UK health experts are currently looking at what further protection might be needed against coronavirus variants among people who have already been fully vaccinated. Oh dear, yeah. so there you go. And it says the South African variant has more mutations than earlier strains. So there you go. Well, guaranteed business, eh? big business, when government starts using your tax money to, to buy stuff from designated uh, sellers. Eh? <laughs> Great business. How many businesses can guarantee sales every year by the government mandating? Eh? If you make spades or shovels or hammers and chisels and... They, they, they could manage. They could mandate. You must buy theirs. Government mandates it. You you can't fail then, can you? Door to door tests rolled out in Bristol, England, and Liverpool as new mutations are detected. Hancock says. Oh, there you go. So um. <laughs> so they're giving numbers, not mutations, and all that. So they found 32 cases of the original strain bearing the E4A4K mutation. It comes as door-to-door tests started in eight postcodes today after 11 cases of the South variant were found in people with no travel links to the country. I guess it's spontaneous, eh? So anyway, yeah, door-to-door. I mean, they tried that last year, two door-to-door, and folk told them all to get lost. They wanted to draw blood, by the way. It wasn't just nasal swab. They wanted to draw blood and all the rest of it. Don't get to, oh, come on. This is intrusive stuff. And um, COVID-19 news, keep indoors and use stockpiled food to stop mutant coronavirus spread. Uh, postcodes are told. So that's Mr. Hancock again. He warned the residents of numerous UK postcodes that they shouldn't even be going to the shop to get food. I guess you starve to death then, eh? And you start to death and they'll test you and find out you had COVID because that's what they'll put you down as. <laughs> Single dose of Oxford vaccine prevents hospitalisation with COVID for 12 weeks. Trial fines. Eh? 
So you're experimenting. That's where they come out with their studies now. And again, Fauci in his articles are talking about just go ahead and get the second vaccine. Don't wait. So there you go. Vaccine passports and health passes is, is showing your papers the new normal. Well, of course, that's exactly where it's supposed to go. Totalitarian regimes always restrict travel. And this isn't going to be just uh, for traveling abroad. That's how they'll put it across initially. But eventually it'll be your own local area, your communitarian little area. Because I gave these talks years ago from United Nations meetings that they had talking about the future and your community and you'll be a communitarian part of the collectivist society and you won't need to travel much except with public transport uh, for short trips because you know it's bad for the environment all that transport and we know private vehicles anyway they set an agenda for the 21st century agenda 21 Essential vehicles only So they're going to have to Like in all, all systems in the Soviet system Papers for travelling outside your own area even Into the next area Well it's all done with apps on your phone And they boasted about that when Last year from China That tried it all out They were the test bed for all And uh, it's all they come here now eh? And so As I've said before They can't the, 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 the WHO said before A few years ago They couldn't force people to take vaccines but they could force you to comply with the demands to take it. See? Well, but you, you could go and get food if you took the vaccine first, you see. Etc. you see. It'd be so easy, much easier if you just took the vaccine. You wouldn't have to have folk deliver it to your home and stuff, the food. No. Yaddy, yaddy. You might be able to go and meet people. Maybe, maybe. You can't promise you won't be. If you take it, because they can't tell you. It's not going to stop you. Being a carrier or catching the virus, they said, with the vaccine. And then in the shadow of that hideous, I mentioned it before, the hideous trends, it's a good one. UN proposed the lines of big data to know where you are and what you're doing. A good article, and because that's where we are with it all, too. Big data. And um, ID 2020, as they called it, which is now being implemented. They've had it on the back burner for years now But uh, it's definitely there today They're Los Angeles I've mentioned Monty Python a few times Because we're living in in the absurd Uh, Los Angeles County bans restaurants from turning on televisions After a two-month shutdown due to surging COVID-19 cases not, Not illnesses, but cases Patio dining returned to Los Angeles County Friday, but with a new restriction forcing restaurants to turn off or remove all televisions from customer seating areas. A clear effort to prevent gatherings of sports fans. The country's revised health officer order also reinstates previous restrictions on outdoor dining, requiring servers to wear masks and face shields. Limiting restaurants to 50% of patio capacity, limiting tables to more than six people, and requiring tables to be at least eight feet apart. <laughs> As you roll up one, one pant leg as well, right? and uh, maybe on a Friday, but not, not on a Thursday. Yeah. Or maybe on a Thursday in the afternoon, but not, not in the morning. You see, that, that's how much sense all this is. It's just nonsense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they don't want gathering and watching sports, for goodness sake, you know. No, tragic, yeah. 
and say, the tragedy of the Super Bowl becomes a super spreader of coronavirus. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and again, John Whitehead's, Whitehead's commentary I've mentioned already, the deep state stealthy, subversive, silent coup to ensure nothing changes. Because that's what you're living through. There's a continuation, folks, of the same system. Doesn't matter who pretends to be in power as the head of it, because they're not the head of it. An implanted vaccine package, ID, Germany's parliament has ratified Gavi's digital agenda, ID 2020. It says this is a centralized uh, general electronic data collection of every citizen to which every government agency, police, and possibly also the private sector would have access. Covers all that's known about an individual citizen, now up to 200 points of information and possibly more as time goes on, from your bank accounts to your shopping habits, health records, vaccination records, of course, your political inclinations, and probably even your dating habits and other entries into your private sphere. Agenda ID 2020, designed by naturally Bill Gates, you know, another part of the Spectre group, eh? <laughs> James Bond. It's part of the vaccination package is backed by the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, it's, it's the same character. They truly are living. Uh, the, the true characters in James Bond uh, exist. We're seeing the characters just right out of the, right out of the James Bond books. Eh? And the same organizations they belong to. We're seeing the Rockefeller, Bill Gates. I sent you the WEF, Gavi, you know, the Schwab and all the rest of it. Eh? All part of that vaccine alliance, they call it. Eh? The Gates creation 2001 with the headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. The public part of being WHO, WHO, plus a number of developing countries. Mm-mm-mm. There you go. And the, the new domestic war on terror is coming. Uh, I mentioned that by Greenwald. Oh, the Scottish Church. <laughs> it's poor Scotland. I mean, I've always said Scotland, you know, the patron saint of Scotland is St. Andrew. And we used to say he's the patron saint of lost causes, because that's all the Scots ever fought for was lost causes. And even after they, they lost their country, they fought for another country. One of their battles for them, because <laughs> they've got nothing out of themselves at all. Uh, except only a few paychecks, and that was it. But the uh, patron saint of lost causes, indeed. When you see the, the, the tragedy of, of, of government in Scotland and the betrayals in Scotland, within their own ranks of, of people, by the way, you know, that was always their problem, was betrayals and people bought and paid for uh, time, uh, century after century, you know. So anyway, it says it's 27 church leaders sue the Scottish government for criminalizing in-person worship. And they're going to destroy your religion, of course. To, to give no other gods before them for the ones that are managing the system now, right? And more than two dozen churches, leaders in Scotland, have joined legal proceedings against the Scottish government, demanding a judicial review of tighter pandemic lockdown measures that have closed churches for in-person services and criminalised public worship. Mm-hmm. At one time, they had power, you know. Why do you think this is all happening now when everything is so weak? And what used to be really strong churches has been long gone, actually, from, from my, my lifetime. Uh, for strength and communities all breaking apart and TV taking over and giving you a different culture, etc. But at one time, too, the churches weren't just churches. They had, uh, they were community halls and so on. They had, they had big events for your communities. 
And the children went and, and had parties and different things all year round, different things on the go. So it was a central hub for the people. But that went out long ago, you know. And then started building church, not church halls, but town halls for the people and so on, community Events were held there then, and uh, the, the churches started to die off gradually. World War One definitely destroyed a lot of it. World War Two finished it off for most folk. They couldn't understand why the state used the churches, which they certainly did, to help promote the, the ongoing war rather than just rebelling against going off the war. And so the churches were compromised completely, and the people just lost they lost all faith in it because of their compromised positions. Backing the state, you know, the Church of England was a big backer of the wars, World War One and Two, and Scotland wasn't far behind it with its with its churches too. They were already fragmented in Scotland big time, because in Protestantism you have schism after schism until they're all different, little tiny differences between different sects, some of them into the absurdities, in fact, of differences. And they lost their strength. The Catholic Church again suffered World War One and Two because of uh, the massive loss of life, and they couldn't understand why a deity would let things happen. They never understand that regarding deities, deity gives you free will. Otherwise, you'd be a robot, you know, and you'd make your own choices, really. But it's true enough when any church starts to back the state. They're going to lose a following. Now, there's also this article to do with uh, the history of the BioNTech group that have uh, they seem to have um, they mean patenting, I guess, on mRNA vaccines. But this one here is from Canada, and uh, it's global research organization what's not being said about the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine. It says human guinea pigs, question mark. And it was published in December, but this is Bill Gates is actually financing and promoting new untested vaccines supposed to keep us at least somewhat safe from a ghastly death from the novel coronavirus and supposedly allow us to resume somewhat normal lives. Well, that no one's said we can go back to normal. In fact, Fauci was adamant last year about that, that we'd never go back to normal. It's a big agenda, and regardless of COVID, COVID's kind of like the front for all. But uh, it says here the financial war went ballistic and so on when pharma giant Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech announced in a company press release that it had developed a vaccine for COVID-19 that was 90% effective. The controversial U.S. head of NIAID, Tony Fauci, rushed to greet the news and the EU announced it had purchased 300 million doses of the costly new vaccine. And it says all the rest has passed history. It says, but then it seems that uh, Albert Buria, the CEO of Pfizer, doesn't share the confidence of his own claims on the day of his company has issued its press release on the vaccine trials. He's, he sold 62% of his stock in Pfizer, making millions profit in the deal. And he made the sell order in a special option in August, so it would not appear as insider trading. It goes into some of the history of uh, the drugs eh, and the corporations. Pfizer, famous for its Viagra and other drugs, had partnered with a small mains Germany company, BioNTech is called, which has developed the radical mRNA technique. 
used to produce the new corona vaccine. BioNTech was only founded in 2008. BioNTech signed an agreement with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in September 2019, just before announcement in Wuhan, China of the novel novel coronavirus and just before BioNTech made its stock market debut. The agreement involved cooperation on developing new mRNA techniques to treat cancer and HIV. Uh, curiously, that press release uh, the, called the Gates Foundation sees BioNTech potential to dramatically reduce global HIV and tuberculosis. 5th September 2019 has now been deleted. Hmm. BioNTech also has an agreement with one of the largest drug producers in China, Shanghai Fosum Pharmaceutical Company Limited, uh, to develop a version of this mRNA vaccine for a novel coronavirus for the Chinese market. And they're also working with BioNTech again, the same group again, BioNTech, BioNTech, BioNTech. Yeah. So it says this means that the same German biotech companies behind the COVID vaccines being rushed out in China, as well as the USA and the EU. The vaccine is being rushed through to eventual approval at an alarmingly short time. And it talks about being explicitly experimental. Hmm. Dr. Michael Yeadon replied in a recent public social media comment to a colleague in the UK, all vaccines against SARS-CoV-2 virus are by definition novel. No candidate vaccine has been in a development for, uh, for more than a few months. Yidden then on to declare that if any such vaccine is approved for any use under any circumstances that are not explicitly experimental, I believe that recipients are being misled. Uh, to a criminal extent. This is because there are precisely zero human volunteers for whom there could possibly be more than a few months past those safety information. These are human guinea pigs and so on. And uh, I think I mentioned already, maybe not, that pubs and restaurants could reopen in April, but but no alcohol can be served in parts of Britain. I think it is. Is it Britain? And... uh, so they, they could open in April or they could soon. No evidence could or possible if, you know, if your master say so. But if they agree not to sell alcohol under options being discussed to allow the widespread uh, relaxation of coronavirus restrictions after Easter. This is from the Telegraph newspaper or news site. It can disclose that a temporary booze ban is being considered as part of the government's roadmap for lifting lockdown. Why don't they just ban the TVs and the booze then? They could just sit and stare at each other, maybe. You know. This is understood the move is being discussed to allay concerns from Professor Chris Whitty, uh, the chief medical officer, and others about the effect of drinking on social distancing. Under the three-stage plan for lifting restrictions, some outdoor socialising is expected to be allowed in March, and schools are set to return. It's hoped that hospitality can then reopen in April, and that all of the most vulnerable will be vaccinated by May. They're already backing off from the elderly because of, well, just, you know why. <laughs> but, um, since with almost 11 people, a million people now vaccinated and deaths, hospitalizations and infections is all falling, the government is under increasing pressure to explain how and when the restrictions will start to be lifted. But isn't it amazing? I mean, I, mean, there was, I think it was in Australia, there was a, a, a song, it was with a, a pub with no beer, you know. That was the name of the song, a pub with no beer. So there's no beer, no TVs now, eh? By the way, you you think that you're not under Emergency Powers Act, uh, which is 
War Powers Act. It's the same thing, they call it Emergency Powers Act. And I was looking into RTE News, that's in Ireland, and Current Affairs, and just looked up Wiki, you know, to see what the history on the, on the, the company was. They're, they're like the BBC, you might say, or, or their own version of uh, for Irish news, basically. And so everything, if there's anything at all, will get put through the radio and television over there. So it's uh, it's a national news service provided by Irish Public Broadcaster uh, Ireland. Its services include local, national, European, international news, and so on. And uh, they've got it in Irish language as well, and so on. But they've got not just in Ireland; they've got, they've got stations across different parts of the world now. I think. But just reading through it, the boring stuff that I read through, you know. But it. Uh, it, some, some of the history started in 1926. It was Ireland's first radio station and its first advertised news news bulletin. It was put out 24th May 1926. And I think it was about the Second World War, referred to in Ireland as the emergency, as they called the Second World War, the emergency, and media censorship of radio broadcasts under the provisions of the Emergency Powers Act. That's, that, that's what we've got in right now, right? This is what's war emergency. Emergency Powers Act, 1939, affected news bulletins before any news bulletin, before any news bulletin was broadcast. The script of the bulletin was read over the phone to head of the Government Information Bureau, Frank Gallagher. Censorship under the Act was lifted on the 11th of May, 1945. So that the phone, whether when he broadcast to 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 literally. Um, the head of the Government Information Bureau. You understand? You all think you've been free. Really? When were you free? When were you free? <laughs> uh, quite amazing. Now they'll go after you for, this, for, for anything contrary at all about COVID you know, or your own observations or, or some experts' observations, and it's all taboo. It can't be allowed unless it's rubber stamped by the Ministry of Information, the Ministry of Truth, as George Orwell would say, you see. It's all here, isn't it? We're living through it all. And and the farce is now reality. But it's dangerous. Just like the, the dystopian comedies you would get too, a kind of Monty Python type idea like Brazil, uh, you're liable to, 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 to suffer extreme consequences for opening your mouth. <laughs> because you're not authorised to say anything or think anything. See, thinking can be dangerous these days, eh? Under tyrannies. You better start believing. We've seen this. You've read about it before, if you've read at all. Most folk maybe haven't these days, but some of the older ones still have read about about the the old systems in the Soviet Union. Huh? That's where Hitler got his ideas from, because he worked with them initially, with with the Soviet system initially, you know, for years. Don't forget Hitler's idea was a socialist, national socialist, and found out how they managed to deal with dissidents in the, in the, the Soviet system. And then the Young Communist League, and he created the Young Hitler League eventually. See, he copied the, the systems. But you're living through it now, eh? Censorship departments, maybe a knock on the door. What are you thinking? Why are you, why are you telling people what you're thinking? You know, your, your thinking hasn't been authorized by the state. you got bad think and wrong think and own think. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, as I'm saying this, this kind of thing's happening, you know. And it's going to get a lot worse, a lot worse, folks. Because this agenda for the whole 21st century to be completed all through the century, step by step, stage by stage, has to be done. The masters have decided it, you know, and the masters always get what they want. Because they, as far as you're concerned, they own the world, they own the system. I've heard small bankers, I mean, like international ones, who travel go for, for big branches to go across the world for, for their branches internationally. You know? And I remember one telling me, he says, you know, the ordinary folk would be but nothing with us, banker, nothing. We make their businesses work, you know. That's, the arrogance was just, would knock you off your whatever you're standing on or sitting on. And that's how they talk. And that's the lower echelons. That's the folk who are, who are now up there. They're maybe in the managerial class, but that's about all. They're not way up there for the big, big, big banks that we above them, the central banking systems, the big private ones. Eh? They see the world as theirs, you understand. And you're in it. You're in their system. It's like that movie, the... the uh, about the CIA startup, The Good Shepherd, I think it was. Quite a good movie, actually. But slow in some parts, but you get, the, you get the gist of it all, of how the systems work and the, the dark arts, as I say, of the MI5, MI6, being taught to this, this beginning group eh, of the CIA that came out of the OSS. And... There's some good little statements in it when the, the head, the, the new head of the CIA uh, goes to make some deals with the mafia. The CIA has always been in bed with every possible criminal organization. They use them, eh? even for drugs and things like that. But but they, they go there and they, they talk to the head of a mafia family. And they're chatting away, and the, and the mafia guy initially says, "Well, you know, we," he says, "We we've 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 got this now. We've got our own families. We've got you know, we've got big families, and we've got our own culture. And don't be the mafia and Italian background." And he says, "He says, what do you guys have?" Meaning the the, the, the white American guy. And the, the American guy says, "He says, well, we you know, well, we are the country. We, I'm kind of paraphrasing. We are the country." He says. He says, we run everything. He says, we own everything. He says, you, he says, you. He says, you're just the tourists. But they're showing you the arrogance of those who get up the ladder and who are into systems, who, who are quietly controlling behind the scenes so much of your existence, and you don't know it. But they themselves are only doing it if you're a worker for them like the head of the CIA. You're a worker from, you're not the boss. The, the dominant minority are way above that. That's how this, this system really, really works. But the arrogance is incredible, truly. Also, Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Muller decries uh, the Great Reset, and he talks about big capitalism merging with, with China, his, which is, of course, it's a merge, because the West created modern China. Anyway, he says it's absolute control of thought, speech, and action. Well, yes, he's right. China didn't start itself up, folks. We, we gave them all the factories through free trade agreements 
and made China the most favoured nation trading status to give them all the breaks and taxations and things. And we funded the factories to move over there and set up. I tell you. And COVID vaccine passports to allow Brits to have, who've had the jab to go on summer holidays planned by government, it's, uh, it's, uh, and that's how it is. It's from the, I think, the Sun again. Yep, the Sun news outlets. And um, so the UK is developing a vaccine passport system as Greece prepares to let in tourists who have had the, the jab. Uh, so you can show that you get proof of inoculation as a condition of entry. And they got their article from the Times as well. And the links are here too, on this one too. And uh, it comes as despite uh, politicians, they call them ministers, were politicians repeatedly insisting that vaccine passports are not part of their plans. Well, when will you expect truth? Why do you keep expecting truth from politicians? You say you don't believe in miracles, but you keep expecting one day they're going to tell you the truth on anything. <laughs> So tourism makes about a fifth of the country's economy Which has been battered by the deadly pandemic mm. So there you go, there's your passports there And uh, and to get anywhere at all And eventually you'll be inside your own country You know that too, don't you? Because I read the articles years ago from the WHO Of their wonderful plans And if they could only get them to pass that uh, You would need passports inside your own country To even go into grocery stores eventually we don't force you to take jabs. We just coerce you into making it impossible for you to live without them. You see, that's how they. That's how they really do, it, isn't it? Aren't you getting? Don't you get fed up being treated like a child your entire life? And then when you're trying to become an adult, they threaten you, and then you go and vote for them. What's wrong with you? So that's the system we're living in or existing in, folks. And it's not going to get better. It'll get a lot worse. Because the World Economic Forum has told us that everything is riding on this agenda. They had tried to get it all through with the climate change. Oh, you're all going to, you're killing off the planet. You're, only, you're the enemy of nature. You're the enemy of the world. Oh, my goodness, the Club of Rome. Eh? So man is the enemy. And because of droughts and famines and so on, it says that would fit the bill that man is the enemy. And so by using that as an excuse, they'd regulate you into the, you know, into the poorhouse, basically. And it wasn't, it's not fast enough. We weren't listening to them, we were ignoring them. And bingo, well, COVID breaks. So after they said that at the meeting in 2019, that folk weren't listening to them, you know, the climate summit. They'd have to do something more drastic. And just like 9-11, where the PNAC group said, well, we need a Pearl Harbor event. Well, bingo, you get your... Pearl Harbor COVID events for, for this one just the same and and the whole plan gets dusted off and rushed into action. Eh? Sad but true. That's how it really is, you know, isn't it? We're living through it, and folk don't recognise what they're living through. Now here's another one too, which I, I really didn't believe it at first. I had to wonder. Because I've read articles over the years to do with the Soviet system. Orwell showed it too in 1984, where the children were taught and raised in school to, to snitch on their parents. As spies, you see. But we saw it working in the Soviet Union, 
that's where Orwell got the idea from. And also, the, the Nazi party encouraged children, the Hitler youth, to, to snitch on their parents if they heard them saying anything unpatriotic or whatever, or criticizing the system. And I've always thought, you know, that's incredible. No wonder we went to war against, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's, that's what you're taught. That's what you're, that's what you're supposed to think. Oh, we went to war to fight against that terrible kind of system. Spy kids. New intelligence laws allow children to work as secret agents for local councils. This is Britain. This is from the mail, Daily Mail. To spy for, for local councils, anti-fraud bodies, and even the gambling watchdog, and even shop their own parents. And uh, police and security services amongst those who will be allowed to use under 18-year-olds. But many other public bodies are also on the list of those with permission. They include local councils, gambling commissions, and food standards agencies. And scores of government bodies and armed forces and even gambling regulars will legally be allowed to use child spies, including against their parents. <laughs> That's amazing. But guidance for the Covert Intelligence Bill, that's what they're calling it, CIB, currently going through the Lords, the House of Lords, outlines other public bodies who will be allowed to employ them as undercover agents. This is the public which has been published online. You know, and I think I've got the link for it here too, mind you. It should be included in here, yeah. Prohibits those under 16 from being used to inform on their parents or guardians, but it permits the use of older teenagers to be used against their own family under special circumstances. In other cases, authoritarian <laughs> authorizations, I should say authoritarians, should not be granted unless the special provisions contained within the, the juvenile's order are satisfied, it notes. A CHIS aged 60 or 17 old should only be deployed to gather evidence against their parents or any person who has parental responsibility for them where careful consideration has been given to where the authorization is justified in light of the fact. This is astonishing, eh? I tell you. <laughs> and so they immediately they change the... This is how the, the, the psychology is used there. So Anne Longfield, the children's commissioner, so you get commissioner for children, called for the use of child spies to be banned, she says. They've been using child spies for years in Britain, by the way, for other uh, reasons. Even getting them to go into stores and ask for smokes and things. Then they charge the shopkeepers. and They've done documentaries on it over the years. And some they make, a, make their living. Some of these children make a living on that. You know, that's how they get their cash coming in. Anyway, says, I remain to be convinced, she says, that there's ever an appropriate uh, situation in which a child should be used as a CHIS. She told the Telegraph, this practice is not in the best interests of the child. See how the ch she spins it, as she's, she's trying to condemn it. What about society? The interests of society? Huh? <laughs> as well as police, MI5, MI6, London headquarters pictures, and the National Crime Agency, the list of agencies including the Gambling Commission, County and District Councils, the Environmental, the Environment Agency, and the Food Standards Agency, right? They can all use it as well. It's passing through Parliament right now. We're being going through it now. There's folk are complaining about it. And also they've got... Uh, 
There's another one, too, is a legislation which aims to protect undercover operatives from prosecution as they're forced to break the law on operations. So anyway, that's the system we're living through, isn't it? And and under any other times, in any other time in history, we'd, be, we'd say for what it is, is tyranny. And uh, these are dystopian governments, obviously, dystopian times. And authoritarian uh, systems, which are not democratic by any means at all, uh, being rushed through all these different kind of laws and ridiculous um, agendas, which at any other time in any other country would have been massively condemned. And yet their own countries are using them internally. Huh? So they'll set up stings to set up their own parents or, or neighboring parents, for instance, neighboring folks. What do you think of so-and-so? Well, I think so-and-so will not get reported. That's it. This is complete tyranny, folks. And you vote for these governments. I can't believe. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Mm -mm. And they never learn from history, do they? Folks never learn, you know. That's what I'm saying, never fight across the seas for something. Never do that. Never, ever do that. They used, to, they used to say that the only thing to fight for is a little bit of dirt you sit on. That's about the only part you have some control over, at least to grow your own vegetables and support yourself. But don't go over and, and fight in other nations for vague whatever, or the evil empire, or the evil Satan, or whatever they want to call the latest target. Because you're being used. For a system that has no that will turn around and do what they're doing to you now. What's wrong with you? Wake up and wisen up because <laughs> you don't get many re chances, you know, retakes on this. You get the one chance at everything really generally. And you have to make decisions as you go along. But can't you see what you're living through and how bad it's going? This is just the start of this. Look at Mr. Schwab and his great agenda here for the the Great Reset, eh? Making things better and, and new and all the rest of it, eh? Bring back better. This is the complete sustainability agenda. Post, post-consumerism, folks. They've had it with you buying things, eh? And keeping yourselves happy by buying things. Even though they made sure that only all you could buy was junk that wasn't made to last at all. That's why you had to keep buying stuff. But it's always your fault, not theirs. Oh, no. Psychopaths will always make excuses to project onto you what they're doing themselves. It must always be your fault for what they want to do. Because whatever they want to do is going to be pretty nasty for you. There's no doubt at all about that. And to shut down the world's economies, where they say that that if you get COVID, you've got zero point... 0, 0.4 of 1% chance of becoming ill with it or sick or dying. And now you'll notice too, they, have, they already have lots of good treatments in hospitals, you know, good antivirals and so on. So even the folk that were dying before last year, because they were sticking around those stupid ventilators down their trachias, they're not doing so much now and, uh, and folk are recovering much better. But literally, 99-odd percent of the people don't even know they've had it and don't have symptoms pretty well. 
So yeah, this is a big agenda, using COVID, obviously, to, for the Great Reset. Eh? Build back better, BBB. Eh? <laughs> and reimagining society, reimagining commerce, reimagining education. All from the same head of the, the, the Hydra, you might say, the, the main head of, of the whole Hydra. The capstone itself. When all part of the same things, it's all coming from a central command. And once again, you've got to come. You've got to have to come through and have a small. There's a few people who who are committed to help each other out. It's because times are going to get bad, really bad, and you have to have each other to help you out with basic necessities and things that must be done occasionally here and there. Help, basic help. Yeah. During terrible times. Because government is not going to do make you happy, believe you me. There's not, they're not there to make you happy, no matter what they say, or to help you in bad times. People now are, are, are terrified of the governments. I think it was Jefferson talks about the, the systems. And he mentioned that government, when government was afraid of its people, you had some security and safety. But when the people were, were afraid of their governments, the system was, would, would fall apart eventually or, or have to be made to do something because you can't, you're under a tyranny, you see. When older folk especially are terrified to even go, like happened in Canada a few months, a couple of months ago or whatever it was, with a couple, the woman had a problem and she had to get medication for it, she had a prescription, went to the pharmacy and the, the, the cops basically arrested them. And she said it. they'd sat and pondered going out at all. She couldn't wear a mask. It was part of her problem. That she was getting the prescription for it. didn't matter, you see. But she said that she and her husband were worried about having to leave home because of what might happen to them by the police. And, that, and it did happen to them. So people are living in fear of their own governmental agencies. That shouldn't be, folks. These are the things we used to accuse tyrannies of. Tyrannies that were always across the sea somewhere. Now they're all here. Eh? And you can't go on for long like that. Because tyrannies don't stop being ruthless. They get worse, unfortunately, as time goes on. Because psychopaths start to get used to very quickly you obeying them, <laughs> and, they, and then they become very impatient when they have to use more persuasion to get you to go along, and then they stop persuading you and just order you like Fauci. <laughs> what a what a system, eh? What a system! But the whole system is geared towards massive change. And what Quigley's talked about war, more done in five years of war. He, he's talking about massive changes. Social changes, that's what you're in right now, using a war-type scenario. The Great Reset isn't just finances, it's an entire structure of society and living, right down to the personal uh, life, or if you should even exist in the first place. I remember giving the talks where I said that eventually you won't get born unless they need you for something. That's where they want to take it down the road, you know. You have to have a purpose to serve them, this, the great state. Yeah? <laughs> so help each other out. Don't forget that. 
uh, and, and try to patch up any differences you have with different, a few folk you may have fallen out with even because these are tough times and you have to put things behind you and and don't start yelling to families and falling out with families about this you'll need the families if you have families at all and um, yeah you will definitely need each other believe you me so remember send a few bucks on waycuttingthroughthematrix.com list all my official sites and send a few bucks PayPal cash or personal check will do fine as well. And um, as I said, hopefully shortly I'll be able to get and post a few books off and get that done. So have patience because the whole world's you know being forced into this right now. So you got to have a bit of patience all around. And uh, I mean, don't fall out with each other, right? So from myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me. God or your God's school with you. Thank you.